Bethany. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! We're back. We got one more for, well, I guess this won't come out until the, until the next year, but we're recording before the end of the year. Um, quick uh, producer's note uh, for the five of you that listen or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> I believe last episode sort of cut off weirdly. Um, we we're having some issues with our hosting site. Um, we may end up having to change our hosting site, in which case there will be a message letting you know that. But regardless, sorry about that. Hopefully it won't happen again this time. <laughs> yeah, as of now, I believe there is still not a complete uh, version of the most recent episode available to download. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird thing. I believe that currently the episode that uploaded was for some reason the pre-edited version of the episode, which is not much different, but you lack all of the delightful intro music so um, and outro and so on. So <clears throat> anyway... Hopefully, we'll be getting that resolved soon here in this new year. But for today, uh, we are talking about the Ingmar Bergman film Winter Light. Right. This is our second our second Bergman movie. We did The Virgin Spring a while back, uh, which was we were both quite quite enthusiastic about, as I recall. It was quite a, it was a good discussion. It was a good episode. Good movie. Uh, this one is a little bit more. Um, I feel like this one in in some ways is almost like the um uh, the, uh, people there's a, there's a bit of a sort of half joke about Bergman just being, you know, such a depressing downer kind of filmmaker, which isn't really fair cuz like his his stuff is like honestly at, at least to me kind of almost surprisingly accessible a lot of the time and there's usually like a de- a good amount of like really funny stuff in a lot of his his movies and stuff, but uh at least with his earlier stuff, he got weirder and weirder as he got older, and I at least am generally less into his later stuff that I've seen. But uh, but this one is is quite bleak. Uh, it it it's it's about as bleak as the title might suggest it is. Honestly, it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's basically just about a, a pastor who's so depressed that he's ruining his own life and the lives of everyone around him. <laughs> it's 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 dark. And it does very intensely lean into, I think, again, I think Bergman, when talking about Bergman as a concept, a thing that often gets sort of made fun of is that it's just like white people staring intensely into space and talking. And that literally is what 90% of these 80 minutes are. Um, <laughs> but he always picks people with such interesting faces to be looking at while they're staring into space and talking. So, Yeah, he's definitely one of those guys who has his like stable of regulars. It's kind of funny, actually, if you if you like click through the filmographies of like the top you know, there's only like eight people in the cast, but like the top five of them, if you click through their filmographies, almost all of them, you know, the 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 first eight things on their filmographies are all Bergman movies. Like that's just kind of how he he worked. I don't, I that may in part be because the film industry in Sweden is obviously smaller than the one in the U.S., but I think he also definitely had he had his favorites, and uh, at least a couple of them are in this movie. Uh, Gunnar Bjornstrand is the main guy in this one, and he's in. A bunch of he's usually a supporting character in you know he was in seventh seal he was in wild strawberries fanny and alexander which i haven't seen but he's in that one um and then of course max von sido is the his his best known uh collaborator uh, uh well also max von sido's wife in this movie was uh the angry adopted child in the virgin spring among other things she's also been in other things 
Oh yeah, uh, Gunnar Lindblom is her name. Uh, but yeah, she was she was also in the Seventh Seal scenes from Marriage, uh, The Silence. So yeah, the, <laughs> he 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 goes back to the well with the, with his casts over and over for you know his his whole career, which is I always that's a thing that I always enjoy. I always like seeing you know the the creative teams coming back and doing different things together. For sure, same, same. I, I, it also like to. I don't know if it's. I don't know that it's always true, but on some level, my brain reads it as like, okay, these people like working with him. So like, it seems like maybe it's like fun to be in space. Right. It's a good sign of you know that he's like a decent person to have as your <laughs> creative controlling force. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't feel like I've ever really read much about what Bergman is like on set. Um, I always just kind of assume that he's kind of a depressive, quiet dude, but I don't actually have any idea if that's true. I mean, like, I, you know, if you had asked me, I would have said the same thing about like Lars von Trier, and that's not exactly Lars. Lars von Trier has a lot of issues, as we've discussed, but that's not exactly his vibe. I, I do have a couple of books about Bergman's career that Eric or the Eric that Jared bought me at some point, um, and I haven't read them because the play. My plan initially was to have watched his whole set of movies and then have read them but that got derailed anyway this movie i don't know how much there's going to be to talk about in it but it it takes place over the course of a day like it's not it's 80 minutes long it's um and essentially like the first like 15 minutes are just like him running a service for like six people and like giving communion and all of this sort of thing which did make me think about as i was watching it I have watched a lot of Christian movies and I have watched a lot of movies that feature church stuff in them. I feel like I almost never see communion and certainly almost never see communion like Catholic, like Catholic communion is like the only communion I feel like. Right. These are, I I assume Lutheran. I don't think it actually said for sure, but uh, I I think that that would have been the, the primary uh, Protestant church in, in Sweden. And yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. You see the, the the priest in the robe up there giving communion is like a that's like a pretty standard cinematic trope i think um but yeah you don't see i th- I think you see protestantism a lot less in general in in movies than catholicism because it's less dr- it, it doesn't look as dramatic most of the time like it's less uh it's less cinematic i think for the most part it did partly just make me think i don't know that we've talked about communion in terms of like evangelical things i guess we probably haven't yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything where it would have come up. Because, like, it didn't come up in Saved or anything like that, which is a movie where I might have thought of it as, you know, but it just it just didn't come up. Um, how did you feel about communion growing up? I mean, we... <laughs> growing up, I don't think I... Like, as a kid, I don't think I cared about it much. Um, first time I ever tasted alcohol was in a communion service, <laughs> which is probably a very common experience, but we had, this is, we grew up in like, you know, very evangelical churches, as we've talked about, which of course all use grape juice because they would never allow alcohol. Um, but our mother grew up Lutheran, same as, as the church in this movie. And they're much more like, we, we just talked about Luther last, the last episode, right? So the, the Lutheran church is the, des, the descendant of Luther's teachings. So they they go back hundreds and hundreds of years and their, their ceremonies are much closer to what you think of as like the high church Catholic kind of mass. Um, 
they have exciting different like scarves not scar- they're not scarves i can't remember what they're called but the like the piece of fabric that goes around the neck of the priest or whatever or pastor um that they like change for the time the time of the high church calendar and all of that yeah yeah different colors for different times of year and stuff um but at any rate they they still use wine for their services unless you ask for grape juice i think and anytime when we were little kids and we went to visit our grandma, we always went to her church, which was still a Lutheran church. And I think the first few years that we did this as young kids, they asked for, for grape juice for us. But one time they forgot. And so that was that was the first time I ever, <laughs> ever tasted alcohol. It was, I don't know. I was probably like 10 or 12 or something. Thought it was nasty. Didn't Didn't care for it. I say my memory is that maybe it wasn't at grandma's church. My memory is that that like some of the churches that I've been to that provide they have like these these specially made uh, things like like bowls that like hold a ton of these tiny little plastic cups. Oh yeah, our church growing up had those. They pass and they just pass them around, and everyone takes one. Yeah, right. And my memory is that at least in some of the churches that I went to, that like half of it was grape juice and like half of it was wine. Um, but I, I mean, I think, like, but yeah, like we went to Bethany Community when I was born. I am assured that I was not named after the church, but, eh. um, and, uh, and they did that, I think. Um, and I remember like mom and dad wouldn't let me take communion when I was young. Cause, okay. Stop reverse. For anyone who doesn't really understand what communion is, would we like to give a brief synopsis? Well, there's, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's two very significantly different uh, opinions on what communion is um the the sort of the the catholic version of communion that people are maybe more familiar with is a thing a, a theological idea called transubstantiation which is that the bread and wine become the literal body and blood of christ through the the blessing of the priest and that we all then partake in that um which is a very strange idea to anyone who didn't grow up Catholic, I think. Um, and probably to a lot of people who did, uh, generally speaking, as far as I know, pretty much all Protestants take it. That's one of the things they tend to differ on is they see it as a symbolic thing where it is not the, the literal body and blood, but it is, it's a ceremony that we enact as a, uh, a way to remember the, the last supper, which is where, jesus instituted communion um so different churches kind of have different uh part of the catholic thing the whole point of of a catholic mass is that you do communion like that is that is the central focus of a catholic mass there's usually also other things there's like a little sermon or whatever but the the whole point of it is that everyone comes together to do communion to to remember the you know celebrate this thing and that 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 is the the central the focal point of of catholic and and also orthodox services uh most of the protestant churches that we went to at least uh would do communion maybe once a month sometimes uh, once a quarter yeah often often a lot less it was usually often it was not like a sometimes they would only do it if it like aligned with the sermon somehow it was it was definitely a less significant aspect in most protestant churches um, at least in in my experience, and that's this is a thing that like, but uh, it, well, with the exception again of like Lutheran churches, for example, Lutheran churches have a similar thing where the <clears throat> the the whole service is leading up to everyone takes communion together. 
but evangelical churches tend to to have a lot less focus on it. But I think there has been, at least there was at the time when we were still in the church, a sort of uh, the, the 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 stupid sort of like cool guy rebel flavor of American evangelicalism often. And part of that is often like we need to recenter communion. Um, there's all, there's often a lot of, at least there was, again, I don't know, cause I haven't kept up with these things, but there was often a lot of like, we need to look back to the traditions of the early church. That is often a common theme among this particular flavor of American evangelicalism. And part of that is we should be recentering communion. Mm, uh, yeah. Which we ha- at one point had very strong feelings about, as you probably recall. <laughs> I do recall. Um, <clears throat> so I, as I believe I have mentioned before, went to a church. Um, well, when I was in high school, I went to three separate churches because it was like, well, I was required to go to mom and dad's. We were all required to go to mom and dad's church on Sunday morning until we turned 18. But they didn't like bother us about what youth group we went to or whatever. I think the boys still went to a mom and dad's youth group. But I had bullies at mom and dad's youth group. Uh, one in particular who mom and dad seemed to have adopted as their new child. Um, but anyway... Uh, the point is that um, I had a few people at that church that were pretty mean to me and I had friends at other churches. So um, so I went to um, a youth group and then I went to another church that was, for anyone who might be familiar with Mars Hill, that was a sister church to Mars Hill. We weren't directly connected, but um, <clears throat> they followed a lot of the same dogmas and things, um, including not having a head pastor, having a group of elders instead, and including doing communion every week. Um, and they had church on Sunday nights. And, um, so, so yeah, so like, uh, so I, and the, the communion is a very like dramatic thing in churches that like, like, you know, I mean, all the high church stuff is pageantry. Like, I mean, it just is, it's very intense. And again, uh, the gathering met, um, in, at night, so especially in winter, it was all lit by like fucking candlelight and shit. Well, and it wasn't an old Lutheran church building, so it was it was like an old you know wooden pews and wooden floor, and it was it was it was a really cool old church building. But. Beautiful building, stained glass windows, it was lovely. It was all very dramatic, so they would really lead you to this like emotional upheaval. Um, but there are some things about community and communion that come up. So there's there's sort of a um, what's the word I'm looking for like a recitation. Um, there's a couple different options, but, you know, take this, eat this bread in remembrance of me and take this, drink this blood in remembrance of me for as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But another part of it is that you really, it's really important that you not take communion if you don't believe in Jesus. Right. This is, yeah, this is another, basically there's, there's, there's a not insignificant number of people who believe that you will die if you take communion without properly preparing yourself which is weird because obviously there'd be a much higher death count in the average church if that were the case but that is yeah that uh you know if and that's part of why like catholics do the um at at least very traditional catholics do like the the fasting over the weekend that's part of preparing yourself for communion that is that is the purpose of it uh it's supposed to be like a spiritual cleansing you're supposed to do before you go through the process of partaking in the body and blood of christ because if you're not prepared for it it will i guess treat you badly i don't know it's a it's a it's a very intense sin that they make a big deal about um for catholics traditionally you're not supposed to take communion unless you're catholic um but that evangelicals don't hold those kinds of lines so um they hold different kinds of lines (laughs) 
<laughs> but <clears throat> anyway, the point is that from the time I was like 16 until I was 20 or so, I was at least intermittently attending this church. And I got really used to the communion every week thing, and I really liked it. I think just because the emotional, you know, you end up crying on the stairs half the time. It's the whole thing. But like, you know. And then when we were adults and we both started going to um, <clears throat> the church that we used to go to that no longer exists that I'm forgetting the name of. What was it called? Uh, Crossroads? Yeah. Crossroads. I just completely blanked. Anyways, um, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, <clears throat> also there's probably 8 million Crossroads. I was going to say that's a very common name for churches. Yeah. But that that was that was the one. Um, and they did communion more like once a quarter. If that. It was very infrequent. Yeah. Uh, and we were we were all very bothered by it. <laughs> we wanted to do communion more often. And at one point, I was really determined about this. And Joe encouraged me. Right. Who was the one of the associate pastors at the church. And he was the, the head of the small group Bible study that we all went to. And also a frequent attendee at the movie group that, that inspired this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was very close to Joe and his wife, Rach. Um, they were probably the... The two people that it most stung that they essentially completely dropped me after I uh, stopped believing in Jesus, and I'm still mad at them. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so we were telling Joe that we thought this was really important. Joe was like, you should definitely go talk to the church board. And like, he set it up for us to like ambush the church board meeting, which is wild. Yeah, it was a little like, weird because, yeah, they had like a monthly church board meeting where they had space for members of the congregation to like come and speak, I guess. But it clearly was not a thing that happened regularly. Like we were the only people there that were not like board members we were the only people there who were presenting something to the board but we actually like you and i sat down and like wrote up a little speech to give about the importance of communion and how we thought it was a problem that the church wasn't doing it more regularly and like we had a whole yeah we did we we had a whole little presentation about it uh that we i think you delivered to the to the the pastor and the the board of directors or whatever for the church, which is very strange in hindsight. It's, it's, it's one of those things that I think about sometimes that like, man, I was a different person back then. I can't believe we did that. Well, and I remember it being really awkward. They were not, Joe did not give them a heads up. They were not expecting us. We just showed up. Yeah, I think everyone was a little confused as to why we were there. And then we had our little thing and everyone was kind of like, uh, what? What's happening? It was weird. The pastor was like, we will definitely take that into consideration. And then they did nothing because that's, of course, they, they were not interested. We were like a weird, like we were very close to Joe and Rachel. Joe was one of the pastors at the church. So we were we were close to like, the, but like we were not close to anyone else at the church. Like, um, and I feel like they were glad we were there because they're always glad when young people are at their church, but also did not really know what to do with us. Um, anyway, so we had strong feelings about it at one point in our life. And in retrospect, I really think I just, I really liked like the emotional overwhelm part of certain elements, you know? Yeah, there, there was, it, at least the way it, you know, it varied a bit by church, but at least the, the, the type of, I think, communion ceremonies that we liked had, they had a, like a sort of reverence to them that most evangelical ceremonies lack completely. Um, and that was something that in our, the the situation that I mean, speaking for myself, but I think also for you, the situation that we were in of starting to like, like, what is the point of all this? Even like, why are we doing all this? Uh, it it felt like, 
you know, the, the, surely this must be the thing that we're supposed to be doing, right? Because this at least feels significant. It feels like a thing that people are taking seriously that actually matters. Um, it didn't, but that was that was what we were grasping onto at the time, I think. Well, and like Joe had got Joe was also into sort of high church stuff and had gotten. Well, like, I think Joe was very like sort of adjacent to what I, the the strain of evangelicalism that I was talking about earlier of the sort of cool guy Christianity of, you know, trying to to make this more dynamic and interesting in part by looking back to to sort of older, more like ceremonial styles of of church services 100 percent. he was very into like doing hymns in worship or redoing hymns in worship he was um <clears throat> he had started drinking occasionally and that was like a well, big he was thing. like a huge beer nerd though <laughs> yeah that was that was like a a weird i mean it wasn't that weird for me but it was a little weird like i the first time i ever had beer was at his house <laughs> that was I mean, he he became a beer nerd, I think, during the time we knew him. I think I remember when he had started drinking. And it was kind of a thing that some of the constituents might... That might have been before I was around then, because you were around him before I was. And in my memory, that was always a part of his personality. But maybe you, maybe that was... Maybe I kind of just missed the start of it. Um, and also, like, you know, daydreamed about, like, having a church in a bar someday, because wouldn't that be cool? It's all stuff I find kind of repulsive, honestly, at this point, um, in this terms of, like, the cool Jesus dude, who I think, honestly, a lot of the time causes more harm than the other kind, because they seem like... It's that thing, you know, like they seem like they're open and listening, but they definitely still think you're going to hell for being gay and they, de- you know. Right. And then usually what happens is they get a little bit older and they just become exactly like all of which, as far as I can tell, is what happened to Joe. <laughs> so. Definitely exactly what happened to Joe. <laughs> that's, that's the usual pattern. 100%. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, it meant a lot, I think, to us at some point. And yeah, I think that sense of reverence, that sense of like importance. Joe was also doing like Ash Wednesday services and Good Friday services. I loved Good Friday and Ash. I never liked Easter because it always seemed like fake happy, but I liked the ones that were sad because I was sad. So. So anyway, <laughs> this uh, this movie, op- it is literally like the first 10 or 12 minutes. It's just this communion ceremony for this, you know, tiny scrap of a congregation in this old church and a pastor who is clearly like he just seems fucking worn out like he he's just like barely staying on his feet to do this whole thing and just doesn't seem to care about any of it and then it all wraps up and and then of course everyone wants to talk to him about their problems and he's just like come on <laughs> like what what is wrong with you people leave me alone not not in those words like he's he's trying to to maintain the the facade but it you can see it looking at him like he just wants to like he's sick he's he's got the flu he's just doesn't have the energy for these people and all of the things that they need from him and as he tells one of the other characters he 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 doesn't feel like he's getting the support that he believed he would get from the God that he has committed his life to. Um, so it's, it was, it, it makes a lot of sense that this movie was very significant for us at this particular point in our, <laughs> in our lives. Yeah. He has one woman who's like a school teacher in the air, a substitute school teacher for now, who apparently he had an affair with for a little while after his wife died. Um, and she's like in love with him, but he is not. Never really clear on why that is. The to me, at least, that I mean, I guess he was, you know, he was probably different when they met. I guess, but he would have been like right after his wife died, so he probably would have been worse. I don't know. <laughs> Look, she's a very sad, lonely person too. Like that's that's what it comes down to. I think uh, 
I was going to say, the history is full of women confident that they can fix men and falling in love with men that they think they need to fix. It didn't seem that mysterious to me. But, um, and, you know, there's this couple in church who've come to church and who want, and one of them is, is played by Max von uh, Saito, and uh, he is very depressed. His wife is kind of the one doing the talking. It's like, look, I've got like three kids. I've got another, you know, she's pregnant. She's got another one on the way. He's very upset because he has read about how China is going to be a nuclear power and hates white people, essentially, is what it came down to, and that everything's going to be destroyed. And he's basically just like, what's the point of living anymore? And the pastor really, like, this is the thing, right? He has no actual answer for him. He He's spitting platitudes. He knows he's spitting platitudes. He can see that this guy knows that he's spitting platitudes. Like, but he does, but he all, and he also can see that this man is, like, suicidal. Like, this man... Right, and he and he, after he lost his wife, from the sound of it, went through a similar period. So he and it hasn't maybe hasn't totally come out of it. So he he gets a little bit of like he clearly is like actually interested in helping this guy, but he just has he has no tools to do it, uh, and it it doesn't go well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, there is a little you know I mentioned I mentioned Bergman's movie often having. Uh, a significant dose of humor to them um this this movie i don't know if you caught the my the the most i think outright example of that was the uh the the organ player in the church checking his watch while he was playing <laughs> while he was playing a song like he switches to playing one hand and so he could pull out his pocket watch to check the time um i did also kind of wonder if maybe there wasn't some intentional like very 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 black humor in the like the depressed guy goes to see the pastor and gets such useless advice from him that he immediately goes and shoots himself in the head. <laughs> it, would, it would be like the darkest possible humor, but I feel like there's a little bit of that there. Um, but that is, that is what happens to him. He's, he is, uh, the pastor's efforts to, uh, to comfort him are so unsuccessful that like an hour later he gets word that the guy has just gone out to a park and shot himself and he's, he is dead. And I think, um, it's interesting cause there's a lot, I think when we were first watching this and thinking about like being a pastor is a terrible job. It's an awful job. You're, you're in a weird like power position, which means that you can't be, like friends with people in your congregation in the same way because you hold this like power. I think personally it's an incredibly that spiritual leader in general I think is an incredibly difficult position to hold in a like ethical way. Yeah, it's a, I would say it's a dangerous job for most people because it 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 puts you automatically in a position of where you can do massive amounts of damage um possibly even unintentionally. <laughs> so it's uh yeah, it's a dangerous thing I think. Yeah, and I think, um, and there are relatively high rates of suicide for pastors and their children, because that's a whole other thing as pastors' families. Um, and so, but like also, you know, one of the things that I've read about a lot over the years is like how many pastors are in this dude's position, because the thing is like, this is your job. And if this has been your job for like your entire adult life, if you stop believing in God, like, what are your alternatives? Like, there are pastors who go into, like, marketing and stuff, which I think says about as much about e white evangelicalism as you possibly could say. Um, but, like, but like the skill set and the resume that you have are not that useful. Right. Out. You probably went and got a master's degree in theology. Like, what else are you going to do with that? 
Right. Your MDiv is not going to get you a job in a lot of places. And all, and like while there certainly are skills that pastors need in order to do good at their job that could translate to a resume, again, if your entire life has been in this space, like leaving that is incredibly difficult. And leaving that with like, I don't believe this anymore is like, I mean, that's tectonic in terms of the impact that that has. So I think that a lot of that, I, I have no doubt, and I believe we have plenty of evidence and research to back this up, that there are many, many, many pastors who don't believe this anymore and who are still going through the motions of doing this, which truly does seem like the most bleak and worst possible situation. Like, Yeah. I mean, there's other, there's other, uh, there's other quite prominent cinematic examples that people might think of like the, the, I can't remember his name, but the priest in the exorcist, uh, Damien, I think is father Damien, I think was his name who is kind of in the same position. Like he's gotten to the point where the, the bleakness of the world has kind of driven away his belief in God, but like, he's a priest. His home is literally at the church. Like what else is he going to do? This is his career, his family and his home all wrapped up in this thing. So like what, what is even the next step supposed to be if you leave that behind? Uh, it's a big, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do. Which for the record, something that people may not, always know about evangelical churches is this is not always true but it is not uncommon for the pastor to live like for the rectory to be on site like we had a rectory that at least one of our yeah yeah a lot of churches will have a, a house on the property that that they have that's one of the one of the perks of being a pastor in a lot of situations yeah so it's not uncommon for again your home to be wrapped up in it so i mean it is it's an incredibly sad state of affairs even as from my perspective at this point it's also like irritating as fuck because just like yeah but you know he's whatever he gets news that this dude has killed himself he goes out to and helps them with the body and then has to like and then like gets back in the car with the woman he's in love with and she brings him to her house for a little or that she's in love with him brings him to her house for a little bit so she can give him some cough syrup and and aspirin because he's dying and uh, (laughs) and then and he has another church service he has to do that's at the end of the day he has to go to this other town because he apparently is in charge of multiple churches um and you know this is very rural swedish town and um uh, and then he, but before the church service, he has to go to the house of the man and tell his wife that she, that her husband has died. Um, and you know, he offers to like pray with her, and she's just like, no, like, because again, he just he has nothing useful to offer. Like, and you know, we see the offering earlier. You know, it's like six people. It's like a handful of coins. Um, and then he goes to do the second church service and like no one shows except for the pe- except for the woman who brought him, the organist and the guy who helps set up the service, who gives an interesting little bit about how he's been. <laughs> That's another bit of humor. He tells he he's like, you told me I was struggling to sleep because of the pain and you told me to start try reading and reading the Gospels. And he says, like, and they've been a nice little sleeping pill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and that guy has a whole little thing about his his he's come to this conclusion that people overplay the physical suffering of Christ because he this he's a guy who'd been in some kind of workplace accident and was like kind of half crippled and he has this whole thing about like, you know, I think I this may be like egotistical of me, but I believe I've been through the same amount of physical suffering as Christ and like I'm bearing it okay. So clearly the the emotional spiritual suffering of having been abandoned by God is the worst uh, edge, which, you know, you have a pastor, he's telling this to a pastor who is obsessed about how God has abandoned him. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he, uh, you know, he talks about how like the physical suffering was also time limited, right? It was only for a few hours or whatever day. I'm, I'm sure it felt much longer, but, um, and, and yeah, so he's telling this who is just like <laughs> staring dead into space about the, you know, the, the pain that must come from the, from abandonment from God, which for anyone who might not know is part of the thing that God turned his face on Christ while he was on the cross. Um, and he says, so oh God, oh God, why have you abandoned me? Anyway. Yeah, that's a, th- a thorny theological issue there, but yeah, that's, it's a big thing. Um, and so, and then, and then he, he basically, they're just like, are we still going to do it? Like no one's here. And he says, yes. And he comes at like the, the movie closes on him standing there, getting ready to speak, looking like the saddest that any human has ever looked. <laughs> right. And he, he starts in on the, the earth is full of the glory of God. That's the, the final, the final line of him delivering this to an empty church. Um, he had, he had a, a little thing earlier in the movie that I thought was interesting that I was going to bring up. The pastor had a, a little bit where he was talking about how the, like the, the God that he believed in when he became a pastor was like that he was, he was such like a inexperienced, I think he referred to himself as an innocent when he became a pastor and he had this version of God that he believed in that was like, that was, that was based in that innocence. And that once he, I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but the gist of it, as I recall, was that once he started like seeing more of this, the reality of the world, he felt the need to like protect this version of God that he had from the outside world. Because if you exposed that version of God to the reality of the world, then that God automatically becomes a monster. Which I thought was <laughs> that's, that's that's there's there's really something to that, right? Like that was that was part of what I think both of us discovered was that once w- once we kind of got out there and and learned more for ourselves what the world was like and what what things were about, that once you try to apply the God that we were raised with to that reality, you're kind of forced into the conclusion of well, shit. If that God exists, then he sucks. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Uh, and I I didn't remember that particular that particular little bit of soliloquy that he had, and I, I was I was very struck by it this time. Well, and essentially, like also, like not just that God is terrible, but like the space that I got to eventually was like, look, I don't believe that the version I don't believe God exists in general. I certainly don't believe that the version of God that we were taught growing up exists. But if he did. I would actually feel that it was my moral obligation to defy him. Like, if if this God existed, then it would be my moral obligation to, even if it meant hell for eternity, it, you, I could not bend a knee to this this monster, this monstrous being. That when we were taught that, like, a big step that Eric talks about a lot is the difference between pro- like believing that God is real and believing that God is good, and that those are not the same things. And you can believe that there is a real entity of some kind but it does not follow that that entity is good right which we've talked about before that the uh, a common way for evangelicalism at least to get around that is that they just have their own definition of good which is whatever god is um and you know if you you pound that into your brain enough then you can excuse just about anything is good because god let it happen so it must just look around (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean it's I agree. I thought that soliloquy was really interesting. I, you know, I mean, it's important to keep in mind, uh, Bergman's father was a minister. Right. He was a Lutheran pastor. Yeah. Uh 
Uh, and I don't really have much of a concept of what Bergman's own beliefs were. Uh, and, you know, I guess they probably changed over the course of his career because he worked for a very long time. But I have no idea what they were at this point. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that w- what you and I often really liked about this earlier set of Bergman's movies is something that doesn't it doesn't speak to me as much now as it did then because I just don't have these questions in the same way. But where for the first like 10, 15 years of his career, it really felt like he was like wrestling with this like understanding of God and this child, this like faith he was raised in and probably his own daddy issues and all of those things, which were very compelling and relevant to us at that point. And he really moves away from that as time goes on, which is good. Hopefully that means that he healed a lot of those things that was able to move forward. Um, I know that like for Morgan, it's Morgan's like, I'm waiting for the Bergman movie that I actually connect with. Like he's like, like clearly Bergman is like, clearly the man is very talented and he has great great performances and actors he shoots his films in interesting ways but i just like don't care about most of these things and i'm just like must be nice Uh, but like i don't care about those things most of these things anymore either like all of this is academic discussion that doesn't mean anything to me because i think it's all about a sky fairy that doesn't exist but like there's still that part of me that remembers like how important it was to see to like see someone say this out loud and like give words to something that I didn't know how to vocalize at that time. Right. I mean, that was, he, you know, he has this, this movie is one of a a sort of unofficial trilogy of movies that I don't know if he referred to it or thought of it that way, but that is the way they're usually discussed now among film people that is referred to as the silence of God trilogy uh, as this one and and the seventh seal and, um, and uh, through a glass darkly through glass darkly. Right. Uh, and all of these movies have scenes of char- like super religious characters speaking very explicitly about the fact that they do not hear the voice of God the way they've been led to believe they should, and they don't know what to do about it. And I, I, you know, I don't know, but th- this was a thing that I that was a big thing for me when I was younger. That like I people. I was surrounded by people who were constantly talking about how they got direction from God and how they they heard the voice of God or they prayed to God for direction and they received direction and all this. And I never once had anything where I felt was it all like that. I never felt like I got any kind of nudge or direction or never heard the voice of God. And that was that was like a big that was like a major hang up for me. And of course, it was always for a long time. It was like, well, so obviously I'm not. I'm I'm clearly doing something wrong here, right? Like, why am I not hearing this? Why am I not getting the direction that I'm asking for? Um, so it was it was definitely very significant watching these movies, even though they were you know they they are they are clearly not the movies that like a typical eighteen nineteen year old would get super excited about, but they were they really they you know they they dug into me in a way because they were it was it was it was really significant to see. You know, the characters who on the surface would be the kind of people that I had been taught my whole life, like, these are the people you should be looking up to. These are like the, you know, the strong religious men uh, having them, in some cases, literally delivering to camera (laughs) a monologue about how I'm not hearing the direction of God that I'm supposed to be hearing and I don't know what to do about it. Um, So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting it's an interesting movie on that level if you're if it's the kind of thing that you're at all interested in <laughs> um, and it does still it uh, similar to what you're saying it doesn't it doesn't grab me now the way it did then um but it's still it's still a hell of a movie it's still very much worth seeking out yeah and again it's 80 minutes it's it's a really it's a brief run but um <clears throat> it is it is a good movie and i think for me at least i think it speaks to 
I don't know. It's like a reminder of a different version of me, like of how important this was at some point. I did feel like I I heard from God on several occasions, usually in the middle of very intense worship sessions, which is part of, and like what it actually was, was just like hearing all of the guilt and shame that was constantly being heaped onto me because I was a bad kid. Joel was like a non-existent kid. Both of my brothers just like didn't do anything bad. I did all of the bad for all of us. Uh, <laughs> not, not that that prevented me from experiencing guilt and shame, but it, it, of course never, yeah, it, never, uh, it never felt like direction from God. It just felt like, well, yeah, obviously I feel guilty and ashamed. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's God telling me that. Right. Whereas I, I felt, I felt a much more directed approach. What I, you know, and there were times that I, I would like try to go and, and talk to God and like seek direction from God. I used to go for walks or something. And I felt like I had, I had heard something and, and sometimes it was good advice. And in retrospect, I think just like it was my own brain. Like I, I knew I had ideas. Yeah. This is a big thing, right? Like how do you distinguish the voice of God from your own thoughts? You, you can't, <laughs> this is, no one has an answer to that. Uh, but you know, if uh, the the answer is you decide which is which, so. Yep. Anyway, I don't know how it's it's a movie that, as is clear from this forty minutes of conversation we've already had, um, I think brings back a lot of stuff from us for us more than it is currently relevant for us. I wish I remember how like Dad or Chuck responded to this movie, but I yeah, I don't have any memory of that either. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure it was it was probably a good discussion, but I don't remember. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, we did not. Uh, as is probably obvious from a lot of this podcast, we did not actually remember, except for a few highlights. We did not actually remember most of what happened in group. Um, it was a rough time. I didn't remember a lot of a lot of things. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else you wanted to touch on this before we uh, move to our extensive December watch lists? Uh, no, I think I think we I think we had a pretty good talk there. I think we're all right. I think we're good. Excellent. Okay, so let's uh, choose our next movie. We are down to 28, making our way. <laughs> okay, what's number 22? 22? 22 is the seventh seal. Do we want... <laughs> I mean, it might be interesting to talk about them consecutively. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, I've been, I've been, that is one that I, like, I knew was coming and I've been looking forward to because I haven't watched it in a long time and I fucking love that movie. Um, so I'm, I'm down for it if you want to do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's finish okay. out the bargain. And I do recall the Seventh Seal definitely has sad stuff and stuff, but it's a much like funnier and more entertaining. The Seventh Seal, yeah, it, it's, it is a historical thing. So you have that kind of level of into, he's like a knight returning from the, the Crusades and there is much more humor. And like, there's a set of characters who are like, uh, uh, players, like stage, they, they're like a traveling stage production thing that are all there. There's much more like lighthearted fun kind of in this one. Uh, de yeah, definitely. It's it's an easier watch than Winterlight in, in spite of being a bit longer. For sure. We'll see if this is the one that Morgan attaches to. I do think it's one of Morgan's most accessible films. I mean, it, it, is, it is by miles his best known, at least to U.S. audiences. Um, it ha it, the thing with with playing chess with death is like a... They, they reference that in the fucking Bill and Ted movie. Like, <laughs> people know about that even if they don't know what the movie is. Uh, so it is... I, it was, I suspect it was probably the movie that kind of got him exposed over here but at any rate i'm i'm excited to watch that one again for sure yeah let's do it then and i, I don't know i i feel like 
winter January feel like good Bergman watching times <laughs> generally. So. Okay. Well, um, who wants to start? This is the end of the year, so I think we've probably both been uh, scrambling to catch up on stuff. Um, yeah, I've been doing some of that. Uh, I think you've probably got a lot more than I do. Um, but I guess I don't know if that means you should start or I should start. I can go first if you want. Uh, okay. So Luther was our last episode. Um, let's see. I did... I don't even remember why I did this, but for some reason on a, on a whim, I, I watched, uh, I rewatched both of the Spider-Verse movies, like on the same night, rewatched them consecutively. Um, in part, cause I did want to like, I always try to make a point of rewatching my favorite movies from the year before making my like best of the year list. And, and, uh, across the Spider-Verse is, is definitely near the top of my list at this point. Um, so I just rewatched both of them. They're both basically perfect movies in my opinion like i i i was really worried that the second one was going to completely fuck things up after how good the first one was and i thought it was even better than the first one so now i'm like doubly worried about what the next one's gonna be like <laughs> but, um at any rate uh, i'll probably talk quite a bit more about across the spider-verse when we do our i don't know when we're gonna do our best of the year list yeah i was gonna land it on a day for that I was going to throw that in. I mean, like, we'll have to... I, I'm guessing we'll do them probably our last recording of January or maybe the 1st of February. I like to give myself a month after for a few things to come out. Yeah, I'm still only at, like, 35 movies from the year. I'm sure you're much higher. 92. Like, yeah, oh, man. I was going to guess 60-something. Um, I would like to at least get to 40 or 45, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Um, oh, so I went... They did... Um, I don't know if you heard. They did a... a a re-release, a remastered version of The Abyss, which is funny because I believe you talked about that in the last episode. You had just watched it uh, just at home. Um, but they did... The, it, it, the Abyss is one of those movies that's like sort of infamously like it's never been available on Blu-ray and like there's a couple different versions of it, but like there's never been like a good home version of it, I guess. And it's one of those things that James, Cam James Cameron has been promising is coming for like a decade. <laughs> but he's just had other things going on. At any rate, they finally got it pulled together and they did like a single night theatrical release for this this new uh, remastered, I guess, 4K cut of, of The Abyss. Um, as I probably mentioned in the last episode because you talked about it, I've only, I'd only seen it once. It was a long time ago and I remembered having like pretty mixed feelings about it um as i often do about james cameron's stuff um but i have found like for example i talked about on here uh titanic finally clicked for me when i saw that one on a big screen like that that was what did it for me i loved seeing that i'd always been kind of mixed on it but it really worked for me seeing it on a big screen and it seemed like you know it's, i'm a sucker for that kind of like they're only showing it for one night and this is the only chance to see this and you know what if it's like the best movie ever and i just didn't know so at any rate i did go to see it um i did like it more watching it the second time um it it helps i mean i ed harris is one of my favorite actors as i've i've talked about on here uh and he's kind of the lead in it he's great um pretty solid cast all around um mostly really like a lot of like really impressive effects stuff a lot of obviously a lot of underwater stuff 
it's basically a submarine movie, which is like a small subgenre that I tend to be fond of. Beth making a face right now is not that's not their favorite, um, but it is a thing that I tend to like. And the the whole like the set of the um, <clears throat> it's not actually a submarine, but the 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 drill rig, the underwater drill rig that they're in is like really cool and really well designed. And there's a lot of great like underwater stuff in the exterior of that that I don't even know how they. It's like it's like large scale underwater sets. I assume mostly they're miniatures. I don't know how they how they did it all, but it's it all looks great. Um, <clears throat> weird, probably a very weird take. I think it would have been a better movie without the aliens. Uh, I felt th- 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 like it started with the aliens, and then the aliens disappeared for like half the movie, and then they show up again briefly, and then they're gone again, and then they show up again at the end, and it all felt very like unnecessary and like a twelve-year-old's version of like aliens came to Earth to warn us about how we're hurting ourselves, kind of thing. It all it all seemed kind of dumb, and I felt like it would have been a better movie if it had just been about you know the the government freaking out about a nuclear submarine being lost and they're going to fuck everything up because they're insecure and panicking. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a pretty cool movie overall. Uh, very unfortunate, but significant dose of like what I guess is like fairly standard eighties, nineties, casual misogyny. So much. Uh, it was really like it was distracting. Like the, we have Mary Elizabeth Mastrantoni, I think is how you say her. She has a very like complicated Italian name. She's really good in the movie. People are constantly calling her a bitch for no reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> like in so many words, they are constantly saying, I hate that bitch. And there's no reason for it. Like she's never a bitch. To, like she is sometimes she is very like forceful and she she had designed this station that they're on so like she knows her shit and she's very like capable strong person but she's never like cruel to anyone or like needlessly unkind <laughs> but the movie is constant even even she says it she says that she's a bitch the movie's constantly telling us what a bitch she is uh very unnecessary and very like unfortunate it my was- impression as i recall watching the movie was that like what we were supposed to take because she had been married to ed harris and they had gotten a like acrimonious divorce. they were like in the middle of a divorce basically yeah um and that the crew was sort of like on his like taking his side but you're right i mean like she's she's like they would all be fucking dead without her but it's not just the crew though because it's like the the also the crew on the ship on the surface who are not part of the same crew they're like navy people but they all know who she is because she had designed this thing and so they've worked with her before and they all hate her they see her getting off the helicopter and they're like hey you won't believe who's here it's gonna ruin everything like just it's ridiculous honestly and it's it really is unfortunate like it's it's like a full star off the movie honestly like it's so distracting and annoying I don't know how I feel about it overall, because I suspect that it's very realistic. I suspect that if you had a woman that still now if you have a woman who is like forceful and skilled and good, that like, yeah, people take that as a bitch. I, I, I agree with you, but I don't think it's meant to be just these characters believe this about her and they're wrong. I don't think that's the view of the movie. That's probably I think true. I think the view of the movie is this woman is a bitch. And like, you know, she's also capable and like she's a good character or whatever. But I think that that was the opinion of the movie. You're probably right. Um, so anyway, if if you can see your way past that, uh, there's there's a lot of really good stuff in the abyss. There's a lot of really cool sci fi ideas, even without the aliens, which, as I said, I think <laughs> oddly, I think the movie would have been better without them. Um, 
there's one thing that that I do like about Cameron is that he does tend to be very like he clearly has a very low opinion of the U.S. government and the military. Which, uh, he, you know, he basically just thinks they're all thugs, uh, which I'm okay with. Um, I will say that although I agree with you, the aliens land weird in a lot of spaces. But I think that what the aliens provide in the movie that I do think I would have had a harder time with the movie without and that I think is rather unique in the film in terms of other sort of dark sci-fi films that I have watched is that they provide a sense of like hope and joy in characters that we wouldn't necessarily normally see that. And like with, like with this woman whose name I can't remember in the movie, but um, that she is like, she is not just, she is not just excited about this discovery. She is genuinely like, there's like wonder, like really intense wonder. Well, okay, it's funny that you use that word though, because what I kept thinking about whenever the aliens showed up was like, this is Cameron reaching for like the Spielbergian sense of awe and just f- falling laughably short. Like he j- he doesn't have that. Cameron has uh, he has a lot of things as a director. He's obviously a very skilled technician and like invents whole new sets of technology for all of his movies and like. Sure, but he does not have that, at least for me, I, I, this is probably not everyone's experience, but for me, watching him try to reach for like, you know, you have a, you have this scene the first time that she sees the aliens of like one of them comes up from underwater below her and we see this massive alien creature and there's the, the crescendoing music and it's clearly supposed to be this like, oh my God, big, emo- it's, it's supposed to be the first time you see the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, right? It's supposed to be that kind of moment, and it just does not have it. He doesn't have that kind of juice, in my opinion. I don't disagree. I, I don't think that, he, like, I think given the timing and, and and stuff, we can't help but assume that he is, in fact, trying to reach for a certain level of Spielberg. Um, and I don't disagree that he doesn't have that. But I think that for me, and I mean, to be clear, I am not, for anyone who may not know, I am not generally a huge fan of super dark sci-fi. I struggle with that um sometimes but i think that for me it wasn't so much those moments of like seeing the it was that i really i think that for me it might have been like a full extra star that what they were fighting for was like like what the fight ends up being on is like to protect this life and not just to save our own lives and i think for me that was like a significant that was a significant and interesting enough like shift that it it I, I think the end is pretty dumb. I think that it doesn't like it doesn't fully land for me, but I think it did help me and was like like the outcome of it, regardless of how I felt that the thing itself worked, made the movie more interesting to me, I think. I, I think you're right about you know, the way it changes their motives and stuff being interesting. But I, I just I, I think all of that lands flat because he doesn't have the 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 ability to to reach that anyway that again that's you know obviously a lot of a lot of people love that movie and there's a lot of people who have been like anxiously waiting for this re-release and are very excited about it and the, I'm I'm very glad that I went to see it I'm really glad I got to see it on a big screen it's a really cool movie I may even buy it someday uh, but I have some some significant uh, holdups with it. Anyway, yeah, we just spent a long time on that movie. Uh, the Boy and the Heron, you saw that one too? There's going to be several things in here that we've both seen, I think. Hilariously, uh, Joel and I saw The Boy and the Heron in the same movie theater at the same time. They yeah. were one row behind us. And I, at one point, was like, 
that sounds like May laughing. And I kind of looked back, but I couldn't see. But I assumed that Joel would have noticed us because there were like six of us. I have bright red hair. I mean, it's... it's yeah, I would have... I mean, and I had like... I had clocked that there was a cluster of people in the row in front of us to our right, but I didn't really look very closely. And and it's like I would have assumed that I would have picked out your laugh out of a theater because it's very distinctive and I can usually pick it out of a crowd. Uh, totally unaware and didn't see each other on the way out. I don't know if you guys jumped up and left or if we jumped up and left or what, but yeah, didn't fi- didn't figure it out until like the next day or the day after or something when we were both at a, at a Christmas party and telling each other about our experiences with the movie. <laughs> but yes, we saw the boy and the heron. Um, I think generally speaking, both of us are pretty big Miyazaki fans. Um, I, I, for this one, I think, and I've seen a lot of people say this, I feel like, I need to read more. I need to watch it again. There was definitely a lot of stuff I really enjoyed. I, I just certainly didn't hate it. It was it was more spirited away in terms of like some of the semi gruesome imagery. Um, and I know that like our friend Mel was a little she was stoned and like a little overwhelmed by like how upsetting the bird looked. Uh, but I fucking loved the design of the heron. That was one of my favorite things about it. But anyway, we that there's kind of like spoilery elements to that, so we don't need to get into details. But I loved it. No, for sure. Um, it's definitely a really, it's a really interesting movie. And to me, it felt like one that there was probably a lot I didn't get on first rush. Um, oh, for and- sure. I mean, there's, there's layers to that movie as the, I mean, there's, with you know, this is, it, it, I, I'm a big believer in rewatching movies in general and any like great director, any movie they make is going to be worth watching multiple times. That is definitely true of Miyazaki. Um, I am, I don't necessarily think of myself as like a huge Miyazaki fan. I, I I've seen I think I've I've seen most of his like big movies at this point, and several of his less big ones. And I I like them. Some of them I love. Uh, but I guess I I guess I don't think of myself as a Miyazaki fan in comparison to the people who are like the Miyazaki fans. You know, it's not for like, sure. It's not like a, a cornerstone of my life the way it is for a lot of people. I didn't grow up watching his movies. Uh, have only seen most of them once, um, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, but I, at the very least, obviously they're always beautiful to look at. There, there's always, there's always many layers of stuff to appreciate with them. Um, and I, I loved this one. I think I liked it more than you did. Uh, I think this is one of my favorites of his just based on first viewing. I'd really love to go see it again. Um, have you seen the, uh, the theory going around on Twitter that the whole movie is, is, Miyazaki pleading with his son to stop making movies. <laughs> I did. I think I, I don't think it's fair to read that as the entire movie, but I think it's it's hard not to read that into it if you know about his son and his terrible, terrible movie that he made a couple years ago. Um, but it's really cool. It's fucking gorgeous. Obviously, the music is incredible, um, and it is a bit less. Uh, uh, maybe a, a bit less linear than some of his. It's it's on the sort of um, more like sort of dreamy, fantastical side of his work. Not like unheard of for him, but it's it's not like Totoro or you know even like uh, um, Mononoke that has a bit more of a straightforward plot. It's a bit more uh, dreamy. more spirited away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, spirited away. Yeah, you're right. That would probably be the closest. The closest comparison. Um, but I really liked it. I'm, I'm definitely glad I saw it on a big screen. I would like to go see it again. I don't know that I'll get a chance to do that. But uh, but yeah, it, it, that one's probably going to show up in my top 10 of the year, at, at this point at least. 
Uh, oh, okay. I, I don't think it will be in mine. So, um, Although, you know, caveat with that, as I said, I'm still under 40 movies for the year, so I'm hoping to get to over 40, but, it, I'm, you know, it's probably going to be at least 20% of the movies that I've seen for the year are going to be on my top 10 of the year list. If I remember correctly, I was in the same boat last year. I'm not happy about it, but that's that's how things have turned out. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. What have I got next? Um, <laughs> so I didn't do a lot of Christmas watching this year I did a few um so the next two are both the so one I I watched with Jared like I didn't actually watch with him but he was like home alone and bored and was like gonna watch a Christmas movie and messaging me and was like hey you wanna I was also home alone and so he's like hey you wanna you know we can put on a do that we used to do this all the time right we put on a movie at the same time and quote unquote watch it together is watching it together you're talking about while you're watching it we did it a lot while you were in portland yeah and jared and i did too um so he has this year was kind of like trying to watch through the the sort of like big christmas movies that he'd never seen that was what he was he was trying to like catch up on the ones that he'd never seen i did that a couple of years ago uh so he had never seen the polar express and neither had i so that was the one that we landed on and it's one of the worst things i've ever seen um it is uh, like I was, I was kind of going into it. Not, I was not expecting to love it. Certainly, uh, I was also, but I was not expecting it to be aggressively annoying for the entire movie. Like it's, it is just the whole thing just like rushes from one ugly, annoying set piece to another. Uh, I hated it so much. <laughs> like I, I think I gave it a half a star, which I almost, wow. almost never, almost never do that. Like it didn't look good. It didn't sound good. It wasn't funny. It wasn't fun. There was no like sense of wonder. It was just ugly and annoying. I hated it so much. Um, so that was that was my first Christmas view. <laughs> really get you in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. I gave it half a star. That's uh, yeah. I remember liking it fine. Like it was definitely ugly. It was for sure very ugly, and the, all of the dead-eyed stuff is true. I I saw it like six or seven years ago and i thought it was fine but but like the ugliness definitely like detracted from everything else yeah everyone talks about the dead eyes uh which again that is a thing but like it's not just it's like everything it's like a dead world (laughs) everything in it is just so bad it is kind of the worst example of cgi yeah okay um the next one i watched very different christmas movie uh, that I hadn't seen in years and years, I watched Batman Returns, which is one of those that like people talk about as like, that's, that's my favorite Christmas movie. Ha huh? Um, but it is set over Christmas. Uh, and it's a movie that a lot of people love. Like it's a lot of people's favorite Batman movie or even favorite superhero movie. People talk about it. Um, people really love Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman, Dan DeVito's Penguin and all of that. Uh, I thought it was Okay. I, I didn't really remember what anything about it from my first viewing other than a few of the like really famous bits with Catwoman and stuff. Uh, but it, it just didn't, didn't, it still doesn't really land for me. I was really hoping, I was hoping that it would be like, you know, a new favorite that I'd be really into. Um, I love Danny DeVito. Christopher Walken is in it as like this evil, like, um, uh, what's the word? He's trying to build like an electric, an electric plant in town that is uh that they don't need the electricity but he's trying to build it because he can use it to like funnel money back to himself like that's the whole he's like an evil capitalist guy and obviously christopher walken is great um and like it it always you know the 
Tim Burton, like, cool sets and, you know, like, a very elaborate and, like, sort of cartoony world set design stuff. Um, Like, that's all, like, I can appreciate all of that, but I'm not really into that version of Batman. And, like, I don't want to see Danny DeVito as the penguin being super horny for everyone, like... It's just kind of gross. Like I, I just, I'm just not. I just wasn't into it. I, I, I really wanted to be. I really wanted it to work, but it, it's just not. I feel like for a lot of people that I've talked to, like Catwoman was like a very early sexual awakening for them. Sure. And uh, yeah, a lot of people talk about Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Obviously, that's like one of the main things people talk about with the movie. And she's great. She's not the problem, but. It's one of those things that I'm sure that if I had seen it, we weren't allowed to see it when we were young, when it came out. And I'm sure if I had seen it yet, when I was young, it would have made some sort of an impression on me in that way. But watching it as an adult, I actually don't find it that sexy. I think Michelle Pfeiffer is gorgeous, but I actually don't find that whole vibe that good. I mean, I, and of course, for me, the sexual awakening Batman was Batman and Robin and Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Like, I, like, remember to, like, a clinical and alarming degree in the trailer where she, like, kisses the men and they both fall down dead. Like, and and that's my favorite Batman. Like, when we were, Eric hated Batman and Robin so much, and a lot of people did, but it's so goofy and so silly and Uma Thurman's so hot and, like, I had a crush on Alicia Silverstone. So, like, so, like I do feel like to some extent there is, like, really a tie to, like, which Batman was your sexual awakening. <laughs> But like, I agree. I thought, I thought the first Batman, the first Tim Burton Batman is very good. I really, I like that one a lot. And obviously that one has Nicholson going for it. And he's so good in the Joker role. Obviously that's a big part of it. But I, I, I do like that one a lot. I own that one. I've watched that one several times. But. And the and all of the sets and stuff are so fun. And I do appreciate the sets in Batman Returns. But I, I agree when I watched it, it just didn't land for me. So I don't know. Um, so yeah, sorry to all of the, the Batman Returns fans out there. Um, I finally got around to watching Mike Birbiglia's The Old Man in the Pool, which has been on Netflix for a long time now, and I really like him, but I hadn't gotten around to it. Um, I think it's been like two months. <laughs> really? I thought it had been like a year. Maybe I've just been, I follow him on Twitter, and obviously he was doing a big tour for it and stuff, so I've been seeing constant stuff about it for like a year and a half, but maybe it hasn't actually been available that long. Yeah, I think it came out last month, because we okay. watched it right after. Because I guess he was doing, I think he was doing it like on Broadway or something, like he had like a major show that he was doing of it for a long time, and I guess maybe I just assumed it was streaming longer than that. But anyway, uh, it's good. I mean, I, I really like his sort of like... Uh, storytelling style of comedy it's almost more like one man show than stand up and um it, i liked his last one better i didn't like this one as much it's been because i've been watching his stuff for a long time and it's been interesting to see you can kind of like see his growth as a person and like chart his course through life by watching his his specials which i think is really interesting and cool and he's he's funny and he's you know he's an interesting thoughtful person and i i always his stuff's always worth watching this one is not my favorite of his either but uh you know it, it's i'm glad i watched it it's good for sure uh i went to see eileen do you have you heard much about eileen i don't think you saw it morgan went to go see it while i was on a date night with ezra uh, morgan was a little unsure how they felt about it. As was I. It's a weird movie. Um, and it's also a difficult movie to talk about without like, cause it's, I don't know. It's, it's a movie where telling someone what genre it is might be a spoiler, which is weird. You, the, but at any rate, it's, um, uh, it's William Oldroyd who directed Lady Macbeth several years ago, which was, uh, Florence Pugh's big breakout role. Still haven't um, watched it. And I, I liked that movie. I re I probably talked about it on here cause I rewatched it a few months ago. 
I don't love it, but I do like it. It's a, it's an interesting movie. Um, this one, Eileen, it has Thomas and Mackenzie and Anne Hathaway, uh, both of whom I really like. Um, it also has Shea Wiggum, who I also really like. He's he's one of those like super reliable supporting actor guys that's been working a lot in the last few years, and I always like him when he shows up. Uh, so it's uh, Thomas and Mackenzie plays this this young woman who works at a um, it's a, a not a prison, but it's a it's basically a a, a prison for like um, adolescent boys, like teenage boys, um, and. Anne Hathaway plays like a, a social worker, counselor, therapist person. It's set like in the sixties. So that, you know, it's all a little different than it would be now. I don't remember exactly what they call her. Um, but she's, social workers she's like, did the, exist she's like the therapist for the, the inmates. Um, and she gets, so she gets hired on there and, and Thomas and McKenzie is kind of like, is like this super kind of like lonely repressed person who gets kind of obsessed with her and, um, so it has, it has some like sort of noir elements to it. Um, it mostly plays out as like a fairly straight drama, but it becomes something very different by the time it ends. Uh, and it's, it is, I, I'm still kind of parsing out how I feel about the direction that it goes by the time it ends. Uh, but it is interesting <laughs> and it is, I think it's the most interesting thing that Thomas and Mackenzie has gotten to do in a few years. Cause I, she first showed up in uh, Leave No Trace, which was a movie that I fucking loved, and I thought she was amazing in that movie. Um, but the last – and she was also in The Power of the Dog, and I thought she was really good in that. But she was also in, like, Last Night in Soho, which I really didn't care for. Like, I thought she was good, but I didn't really care for the movie. And she was in Old, which I felt the same way about. Uh, but she's she's good in this. She gets to do something different from what I, – I feel like she's usually kind of like the the, like, wide-eyed innocent is sort of the the thing that she's understandably so based on how she looks um but she's it's this is a much darker character than that uh and she's she's really good in it i think and obviously Anne hathaway's really good too um so it's i would say it's it's worth checking out but it is it's a weird movie uh that you know you might have to brace yourself for a little bit but it's 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 an interesting one i'm glad i saw it okay um I finally caught up with Passages. I believe you watched that one too. Morgan and I watched it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is this came out like early in the year, and it was immediately like, at least among like the critics that I like follow on Twitter and on podcasts and stuff, it was immediately like everyone's favorite of the year, and like you know everyone does like their favorites so far at the midpoint, and it was on like everybody's list. And I've been meaning to watch it. It's been on Mubi for a long time. I finally got around to it. Uh, didn't love it. Same. Uh, I. It, the uh, so it's um, what's his name? I, I should have pulled it up while I was doing. Ira Sachs is the director who has he's done a few things that have got some attention in the last few years, but I don't think I've seen any of them. I have seen a couple of them, and I have landed aggressively mid on basically all of them. He has, and a pre like from my dim memories of the ones that I have seen, I think that in general his thing is kind of like unlikable gay people. <laughs> Um, which like well, this one is certainly that like and and that's fine we don't we don't all have to have likable counterparts there are many unlikable gay people i can assure you um it does make for for me rough watches though and that was how i felt about this one where i constantly wanted to strangle him like so much yeah so we have franz rogowski is the main character who is a good actor he's i've seen him in several things from the last few years he's been in the last couple of christian petzold movies which i've talked about a few of his on here 
uh, and he's always really good. Um, and it also has Ben Wishaw and Adele Xarchepoulou, however you say her name. I really like both of them. They're both really good. There really is something about Franz Rogowski's performance in this movie that, like, he he is one of the most loathsome characters I've ever seen who isn't, you know, a serial killer or a child molester or whatever. Like, he's just a guy, but he's, like... Look, I know it's overused as a term, but he is such a narcissist that it is like, like there just nothing exists outside of what he is like a five year old narcissist. Nothing exists outside of his immediate thoughts. It really is almost because it's it's not even just that, like, he only thinks of himself, but it's like every action that he takes does the maximum possible amount of damage to everyone around him. And it's not even like he's sitting there plotting to damage the people around him. This is literally just, this is just his instincts. This is like his first thought, the thing that he thinks to do is always the thing that does the most damage to everyone around him. And so it's, it is like, there's something about that performance. It's incredible. Like, absolutely. I can't, like, I obviously am not an actor, but I can't imagine being, like, even being willing to take on a character like that because he's so despicable. Um, so like it is it is very impressive like it is i would say one of the performances of the year like he he's so good because you know you know it never feels like oh this guy doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would do something that hurtful <laughs> you, you never once have that thought <laughs> like and ben wishaw is great as like his his husband at the beginning of the movie and kind of off again on again partner through the movie and like He's really good and, like, I really like where his character ended up at the end of the movie. Like, he has a a good, satisfying character arc of his own that I really liked. So that, like, there's good, solid stuff in the movie. And I think it is probably, like, a good movie. Uh, But I couldn't imagine ranking it as a favorite. Like, (laughs) and I don't don't know that I am interested in seeking out more of this guy's stuff either. Um, Yeah, I think that I, when I look at my reviews of the previous ones that I have seen. Um, it really does feel like I'm more or less always ending up in this place where like, I appreciate what, like he's clearly very skilled, but I don't like watching it. Um, which is like a thing that, I mean, he's not the only director that that's the case for that happens for me with certain directors, but it does seem relatively consistent with him is that like, I am impressed with his ability to bring his vision to the screen. I find watching his vision deeply unpleasant. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sorry I watched it or anything. Like I'm, it's, I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad to have my own opinion about it. Uh, but I feel pretty strongly about it. Uh, it's not not one that I will be going back to. I don't think. Agreed. Uh, next up, I did another Christmas movie. I watched Black Christmas again, which is is I've talked about on here before because I at this point I basically watch it every year. Uh, it's probably my favorite slasher movie. It's definitely what like it, it is always the movie that I recommend to people when they're looking for like off the beaten path Christmas movies because I think a lot of people still don't really know about it. It's definitely like a cult following at this point, but it isn't it doesn't have nearly the kind of recognition that like Halloween does, even though it it came ahead of Halloween and and I think kind of set the path for a lot of what's good about Halloween, which is I also love I love the original Halloween, um, but I think I like this one even better. Um and it does get like it's it just it has all of the things that you want in a good slasher movie. Like it's funny, it's genuinely creepy, it has a set of characters that you actually care when they die. 
Um, some great, some great female leads. Just right, and and some like surprisingly like meaningful and intense thematic stuff. Like that, I was not. I think we watched it together the first time we watched we it. Did. And we're both like, wow. I, I did, was not expecting that. that like they, they didn't need that in this movie. Right? They didn't have to do that. But it, yeah, very it's a great movie. I I highly recommend it to anyone who's at all interested in in horror movies. Um, have you seen the Iron Claw yet? That's next on my list. I believe we're going to see it tomorrow. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good movie. Um, I it's a very very sad movie, as I'm sure you've heard. I didn't know anything about the the actual story behind it, um, but it's it's about this this family of professional wrestlers. Uh, so it's like I think I think in reality there were five brothers. Uh, the movie I did some reading about the actual family after seeing it, and the movie condenses things a lot to the point where they literally cut out one of the brothers. <laughs> um, but it's it's a very very sad story. Uh, you know, I don't want to like give too much away or whatever but the most of the family comes to a bad end and it's 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 all just tragic um but it, ha- it has zach efron in it that's the thing that people that's the reason why most people have heard of it i think uh zach efron looking like he is preparing to play the hulk without makeup like he's so bulked up for this role and it's such a weird look for him <laughs> like he just he looks odd i mean he was doing that for a while like when he was in baywatch and stuff i'm quite i'm a little worried about him because it seems very like okay i don't know for a fact that zach afron is doing steroids to attain this look but it seems really unlikely that he is not and that does concern me a little bit but he 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 also had like that because that was like a whole like meme thing for a while people were making fun of how like ridiculously overbulked he looked for like baywatch and like that era but then he had shifted back to like people were stupidly saying that he had a dad bod because he didn't have a 12 pack <laughs> not the same thing but it's fine but he looked great and he had like his beard and all that kind of stuff and i'm just i just hope he's okay but yeah <laughs> i knew about it honestly i found out zach efron was in it later i knew about it because it was jeremy allen white's nest project and i'm so obsessed with him after the bear that i heard about that part first okay gotcha right he's also in it and and, and for the record zach efron is great in it i mean he's getting oscar buzz for it uh, I love that for him. And I, I think it, I think it's I would say well deserved. He's he's really good, uh, in spite of how off putting he looks. Um it also has Holt McCallany, who is an actor that I he was I guess I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, but I never really noticed him until um uh what's it called? The the David Fincher Netflix series about the FBI guys tracking serial killers. Yes. Um I can never it has like a really generic name and I can never remember it. Um uh, I got. No, I gotta. I have to. I have to find it. Mind hunters. Mind hunter. It's mind hunter. I think. I think it's singular for some reason. Uh, he's like the older of the two main FBI agents in that, and he's really good in that. I only watched um, the first season. It did not land for me. Okay. At any rate, ever since then, he's. I always clock him when he shows up. He was in. Uh, he was in um, Nightmare Alley, uh, which I you didn't care for. I loved it. He was the. I think he was like the security head of security guy for like the rich evil dude uh honestly i forgot that movie existed until you just said the name of it now so <laughs> anyway Holt mccallan a really good actor that i'm always interested in now and he plays the the father he's like the patriarch of the family who is this like 
he, li- <laughs> I think it's in the trailer, but he literally has a line early in the movie where he like tells his sons, you know how it is. He literally ranks his favorites and he's like, you all know that's the ranking, but the ranking can always change. You can always earn your way up or down. <laughs> like that's, that's the way he runs his family. So he's like pushing them all very hard to be, you know, he had been a professional wrestler, but felt like he never got the shot that he deserved. So he's, he's now like, you know, pushing his children to be, you know, to be big shots of one type or another, basically, which, you know, that that is a you can understand how that led to tragic consequences for the family, because that's not a good not a good model. Really um, nothing worse than sports parents in terms of like abusive parenting that is somehow like validated by society. For right. Because it, le- it can lead to success. So it, it can if, if it if it does lead to success, then it's seen as like. You know, Worth you clearly it. did something right, whatever. But anyway, uh, so there's also there's a lot of obviously good like sort of sad father son stuff in the movie, which I you know I'm kind of a sucker for, and it's it's a good movie, uh, worth checking out. It's uh, directed by Sean Durkin, who did uh, Martha Marcy May Marlene, which was a movie that I loved from a few years ago. Um, I think it's like a decade ago now, but yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's only done one or two things since then. But uh, anyway. Um, speaking of Miyazaki, I rewatched Ponyo, which Ham! I had only ever seen that one once and May had never seen it, uh, somehow. I know, right? It's like the, it, it is, you know, people listening to this probably don't know, but it is basically like the perfect movie for May is, and it, it was indeed like they loved it. I really liked it. It's a really good one. Um, it has a really cool, like, um, obviously the, like, the hand-drawn animation is obviously like a staple of, of Studio Ghibli stuff, but this one has almost like a like crayon or like color pencil look to it that's really cool and kind of stands out from most of their stuff, at least as far as I remember, um, and very much fits with the like the child view of the world kind of thing. Um, we actually watched the English dub of it, which is not a thing that I've... I don't think I've seen any of his in the English dub before, but that was what was... That was what they had on HBO. I don't. When they first put all those up on HBO, they had both versions of it. But if they had the the sub, I couldn't figure out how to get to it. It hmm. defaulted to the dub, and I couldn't figure out how to change it. So the sub is, or the dub is the one that I have seen by far the most of that one because when I lived with a toddler in my early twenties, she became very obsessed with Ponyo. So I saw Ponyo all the time. Uh, this little redheaded toddler who very much identified with this small redheaded child running around screaming ham. So honestly, I've probably seen Ponyo more often than I've seen any Miyazaki movie. I still don't love it as much as Totoro, but I saw it. All, I think I've seen it one time in the sub version. The dubs for Ghibli, to be clear, are very good. Yeah, well. Particularly now, I think that, you know, at this point, they're like, you know, they, they draw big name actors who want and, you know, they get like very talented people to do the oversee the rewrites and stuff to make. I think Neil Gaiman redid one of them and like, you know, to make sure that they're faithful and still good. And like, so, yeah, I, I think it, they, they're probably it, you're pretty safe, I think, going with the the dubs for them. And it was, you know, it obviously has a great Liam Neeson and Kate Blanchett and uh you know, a bunch of other people were did did voice work for it, which was cool. I mean, we saw the boy in the heron subbed, but I believe the dub, the lead character was Robert Pattinson, and there were some other like it's all huge. Names. I think I think Robert Pattinson did the heron. That makes more sense. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure anyway. But yeah, the, yeah, big major major actors. Um, uh, the next thing I have is the color purple, which we saw together. So obviously, we did. saw that as well. Uh, I was not crazy about it. Um, I. I uh, it brings me no joy to say that, and I don't particularly feel the need to like 
spend a lot of time talking about how I didn't like it. Uh, so I, I don't want to get too into it, but I don't know if you want to talk about it now or if you want to talk about it when you get to yours. Yeah, I can talk about it a little. Um, I liked it, but did not love it. Um, I had hoped to love it a little bit more, but I did like it. I read the book of The Color Purple this year, which I don't think I would have done if I had realized that the movie was about to come out, because that's usually sort of against my... Um, so Because my brain just can't help but making all of the comparisons. And there's definitely a ton of, like... Uh, interstitial material that got left out that is unfortunate it was certainly more gay than the spielberg version but not as gay as i wanted it to be and not certainly as gay. not as gay as the book I, I still haven't seen the spielberg version but i did read the book yeah definitely not as gay as the book and there's a thing that i was trying to like explain to eric about because the book is is done from a from an entirely like, first person perspective and it's really interesting to watch uh celia as she as she sort of grew because like when she first starts talking like she, like when we first the book starts her like vocabulary is super limited she's very and like she sort of grows in the book and i have very distinctive memories of when she first um sort of falls in love with shogun um starts having sex with shogun and and i found that part like extremely moving of like that she had never like her only understanding of sex is assault her only understand like she had no idea that like all of this like pleasure could come from sex and i found and she also doesn't have many words for sex so she's like trying to lay and i found that part of the book extremely moving i don't know how it would have like how they would have done it and i i missed it though because i did because it's so much a part of her story and it did feel like they were sort of towing the line and trying to be like yeah no they're gay but also we're not gonna like right we still want this to be the big family movie of the the holiday season yeah yeah unfortunately and i i was disappointed about that i did like the music joel wasn't a huge fan of it i thought the costuming and the set design stuff were really really beautiful um and the performances were great i i thought they all did a great job um but yeah i i liked it i cried a little I didn't love it. There was some stuff I really wished we had had more of. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I certainly think it's it's worth going to see. And it's it's a big flashy thing. I think it's worth going to see in theaters if you um, have the opportunity to do so. But yeah, I didn't love it as much as I'd hoped. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I went into it hoping that, you know, this is going to be one of my favorites. And it's definitely not. Um, yesterday morning, I finally got around to watching How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Yes. Uh, which has been on Hulu for months and has been like on my list of things I really wanted to catch up with. But be- I, I see I, you probably have this thing too, like because it's there on a streaming service and I can watch it anytime. I never watch it. I did do this all the time. Uh, I keep track. This is part of why I keep Hulu is one of the few ones that still does an expiring section. Criterion has that too, as a, you know, I know you've talked about that. I look at Criterion every time, but Hulu is one of the only ones. So if you have things on your list, I usually check a week or so before the end of the month. And if things are expiring, that makes me motivated to watch them. But it's very hard for me to feel motivated otherwise. This is why Mubi was such a perfect setup for me when they had their whole 30-day queue thing. And I'm still mad that that's gone. As Uh, you should be. At any rate, I did finally get around to watching this one because I wanted to watch it for, you know, before I got to the the end of the year. Uh, It's a really cool movie. Um, I'm like... It feels dangerous in a way that you almost never get from, certainly from like, I mean, it's not like a big Hollywood movie, but it's not like a zero budget indie movie. Like there's familiar faces in it. They obviously had something of a budget. Um, And I'm very curious to know what people who are actually doing this kind of work think about the movie. Because it it, it makes me wonder if it's one of the like, 
maybe from the perspective of a person who actually knows about this stuff, maybe it's dumb and ridiculous and they're all laughing at it <laughs> because it, it just doesn't seem possible to me that it, it is as sort of like ground level realistic as it feels because it doesn't seem like they would have been able to make it if that were the case. I know, but there I, don't know. Was, I, I know there was some fairly serious talk trying to block it from like coming to theaters and stuff like there was there were people who had a lot of concern that it felt a bit too specific and a bit too call to action. -y. It is very like it, it basically it, it all but shows you exactly how to make <laughs> like it doesn't it, it doesn't actually show you, but it basically shows you like, hey, you can find all this information on YouTube <laughs> if you want it like. And it, it, it does, in fact, show you how to blow up a pipeline. <laughs> yeah, that, that is. And it also, it has, like, heist movie elements to it, obviously, because there's this whole, like, sort of ragtag team that has come together from across the country to to do this. Uh, and you kind of get their backstories, sort of, and how they got involved, kind of edited into the movie as it plays out, which I thought all that was really well done. Um, I thought all the, all the actors were really good. Um, it had uh, what's her name the the girl from American Honey who uh, yep I can't remember her name I can't remember her name but she's really good I always like her when she shows up um and yeah I mean it's uh, it's it's thrilling seems like a kind of a cheesy word to use to describe it but I think it is that it's it's a very exciting movie uh, that feels like it feels important and interesting in a way that not a lot of movies do I don't think. Her name is Sasha Lane, by the way. That sounds right. Um, so yeah, uh, highly recommend that one. Um, it's a good, uh, you know, it's it's a serious movie about serious things that is like real easy to watch because it it has a, it's very like, uh, you know, in within these like sort of thriller heist movie uh, structures. Goes at a fast pace. It feels it's it's fun to watch while also being like, damn, like <laughs> so. yeah, like I, I'm li literally watching it. Like, am I going to end up on some kind of like government watch list if I rate this movie too high? Like that that's what I'm thinking as I'm watching it. Uh, but I don't know. I don't feel like people are talking about it still though. Like it got a little bit of buzz when it came out, but it seems to have kind of gone away. Uh, I haven't which, seen a ton of talk, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's a cool movie. Definitely worth checking out. Um, and then last thing I have here is I finally got to see Poor Things last night, which I loved. It's uh, so good! Unsurprisingly, I like Lanthimos a lot. Um, I don't know that it's my favorite of his necessarily, because I have a, he has a couple. I, I really loved The Lobster. Um, but uh, I really loved this one as well, though. I mean, it, it is he's one of those movies, those directors who like, he just like piles things into his movies that like I think probably don't work for everyone, but like like all of all of the like the locations and sets and stuff in this movie it has like they, they you know they, she's like traveling through Europe for a lot of it and it's all like it all has kind of like a fantastical like almost steampunky look to it and I kept thinking like he didn't ha like. The movie didn't need this. He didn't have to do that, but it looks so fucking cool. <laughs> it's it's just gorgeous, uh, and it's you know it's it's basically a take on like a Frankenstein story, which is always a thing that I find interesting. Um, and Emma Stone is fantastic in it. I think she is. 
It is one of the most impressive physical performances I've ever seen. Like, she literally, for reasons that I will not elaborate on for spoilers' sake, but she literally, throughout the course of the movie, goes through the, like, physical stages of being like a toddler up through an adult and she does it so seamlessly and it's so like it's it's absolutely incredible it's incredible to watch her do this um like but also okay so i like the lobster i should rewatch the lobster i dog tooth was the first lanthimos movie i ever saw it was probably the first movie lanthimos movie a lot of people saw um but still not that many people saw it and i was captivated by like that to me like hit something very deep for me um and then the favorite was absolutely my favorite movie of that year i am obsessed with the favorite i still think it's just it's just incredible um and then and then this one and i i don't know what it says about me i genuinely don't i don't know what it says about me that emma stone in yorgos lanthimos makes me feel the most seen in my attitudes about sex as anything I have ever watched in my entire life. Like, I watch it and I'm like, I think if I hadn't had all of the trauma, this is what I, this is how I would have naturally. The, 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 a lot of the discussion about the movie has been around the amount of and graphicness of the sex in it. There's a lot of it. Uh, suck it, Gen Z. It's all good. Um, it's, it's like every, almost everything about the movie works perfectly. I, ha- I, I have at least one specific element that I didn't think worked. We don't have to get into that necessarily, but Willem Dafoe is like this, like, with, like horribly scarred, like, it's, in, it's interesting because he's almost like, he is basically like Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. right? Because he's, he, I mean, he's like a living person, but he is his, like his, as we find out throughout the movie, his father was a scientist who did all these experiments on him and has left him as like this sort of mangled person but he still like sees his father as having been this great, you know, he did all this because he was a scientist who was devoted to like finding the next thing. And that's still how he talks about his father as like the person who was willing to like push the boundaries to discover new things, even though his father like ruined him. Um, but then we of course- definitely have never met any adult human, particularly boomers who might feel sort of that way about their very abusive parents. And of course, it's Lanthimos. So even in that very dark thing, he like we have this very funny thing with his character where like his digestion's all fucked up, so he has to hook up to this machine while he eats, and it causes him to like produce this gross bubble that like from his mouth at the end of his meal that then floats up over the table and pops every time, and it's hilarious every time because that's the kind of humor that Lanthimos fills his movies with. it's, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, almost everything about it works. Mark Ruffalo is, I don't know what that accent that he's doing is supposed to be, but it's so good. He's, he, it's such a like tight wire kind of performance because his character is like super slimy and gross, but he's so funny. <laughs> like he's so funny and like likable is the wrong word for it, but like, you don't like him. You would never want to like be in a room with him, but you like watching him. Uh, at least I did. Uh, maybe that won't be true for everybody, but um. I just she has she has a scene where she has gone out into the world and let some guy go down on her, and she comes back and when she tells Mark Ruffalo's character this, he is so upset and she is so confused. Like she is just like I don't. You may also lick my, lick the pussy. Like you, no, nothing is stopping you. Like this is not. And like I feel like that is exactly how I felt when I was in high school and boyfriends were so mad at me for cheating on them. And I was like, 
But, like, I wouldn't talk like that because, of course, I understood, like, the societal reasons why it was supposed to not be okay. But that is how I felt. Like, why are you so upset about this? I don't get it. And it's this, like, hilarious pragmatism about sex. I also, And it's funny because her role in this and her role in The Favorite are not the same. Like, she is much more devious in how she uses sex in The Favorite. But I always think of that scene of her in The Favorite where the guy comes in and she's like, is, are you here to rape me or are you... <laughs> Oh, what was it? I, I can't, can't remember, remember what the line was. Oh. oh, I can't remember either. It's something or rape me. It, it was, yeah, and he said, I'm a gentleman. And she's like, oh, so rape then. <laughs> One of the most pitch perfect lines of like any, like, and I just, there is something about the the pragmatism in the approach that that holds true across both of these characters. And for some reason, it just makes me feel like, yeah, no, that is how I think about sex. And I don't know what that says about me, but it is true. And it makes me feel so happy and like seen in this very weird way. <laughs> yeah, I also did. I loved the favorite as well. Um, Dogtooth did not grab me the way it grabbed you. I need to watch that again. But did, did you see The Killing of a Sacred Deer? I have seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer once. I really need to rewatch it. It did not land for me. So it's funny because I, I came out of The Killing of a Sacred Deer with very mixed feelings. But that movie, there are things about that movie that I still think about all the time that have like really stuck with me and I need to watch it again. But because I, I did come out of it, I think it was after The Lobster, which I love so much. And I came out of it feeling kind of disappointed that it hadn't landed the same way. But there's a couple things from that movie that I I still think about a lot. Like, honestly, I, I think I remember more from that movie than I remember from The Favorite, honestly, which I've also only seen once. I've seen The Favorite like three or four times at this point, which is very rare for me. Yeah, I realized after seeing this that I don't own any of his movies, which is weird for me because they're definitely a thing that like if I saw them somewhere for like a good price, I would have grabbed them. But I haven't. I need. I guess I need to seek them out. Uh, but yeah, that that one will definitely be among my favorites of the year. I loved it. For sure. Uh, it's <laughs> super, super funny. Great amazing performances remy youssef who i've talked about his show i've watched most of his show on hulu i really like him and this is like a very different a very different thing that i wouldn't necessarily have expected him to to have in him but he's great um yeah love it love that movie definitely go see it cool i think that's all i've got for movies uh finally that took a lot longer than it probably should have so we'll see how yours goes it's okay. I feel like I, I talk less about movies for better or worse when we're going through them. So the first thing I watched after we um, after we recorded last time was Morgan and I watched May December. Um, man, that's a wait. I also saw May December. Did I talk about that last time? You did. Okay. Yeah, because I did. I did see that, and I didn't remember that I talked about it last time. Okay. Yeah, you talked about it last time. Um, but yeah, what a what a movie. Um. Rough, 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 rough watch. Um, in the way it should have been a rough watch. I, I don't know. I, I came away from it very much appreciating it. I, I don't know. I feel, I feel like whenever I watch it a second time, and I'm sure I will eventually, will determine whether it like goes up to a four point five. But the performances are no doubt absolutely incredible. Um, I love see, I, I love seeing all of the chatter about um Charles Melton at this point, which I find extremely funny. Like he was great, and he deserves all of it. But like for me, I'm just like. That's that. That's what's his face from Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, see, I had never seen him before. I I didn't know. I never saw Riverdale. Uh, anyway, he I, seems great. Do Do you consider it a comedy? Because that is the main debate about this movie on Twitter these days. There's like a sharp divide among people who love it and think it's like the funniest thing ever, 
uh, not the funniest thing ever, but who think it's like a very funny, uh, campy sort of comedy. I've seen a lot of that. I think I talked about when I talked about it that one of the things that often happens to me with his movies is that I get the sense while I'm watching them that like, oh, this is a comedy, but I'm not, it's not totally, like I'm not on the same wavelength. I'm not totally getting it a lot of the time. And I definitely had that with this movie. But I've seen a lot of people who also really loved it who are just disgusted by the idea that anyone would think of it as a comedy. <laughs> so I'm curious where you live. Well, I don't feel like I end on either of those extremes. If if you find it funny, that's fine. I, I think for me... Anytime we're talking about like child predator stuff, it's hard for me. I can see, I can see the camp and the performance that they might. I laughed a few times. I laughed um, at the scene where she like opened the refrigerator and like like they. That's the obvious example early on, right? You get the dramatic music cue leading up to. I don't think we have enough hot dogs. <laughs> right, like that was funny. There definitely were things I laughed at, but I would not personally slate it as a comedy. So, um, and then we watched the killer which was very technically accomplished and did literally nothing for me. So. I think I also talked about that one last time, but yeah. it's, it's an inter- yeah, yeah, anyway. I, did, I, might, I think it's worth checking out the, um, uh, the film cast's episode about it because I found their discussion very interesting. They were kind of mixed on it as a group, but I think Devendra particularly really liked it. But some of the stuff that they had to say about it made me th- I, I, it's It made it a more interesting movie for me in my head, and it kind of made me want to watch it again. Um, so okay. yeah, they're, they're, they always have good discussions, but I did think their episode about that was helpful. Um, and then we were looking for something else to watch that day and I went and looked at Criterion expiring and there's a bunch of Hitchcock stuff expiring. And so we watched, have you ever seen the trouble with Harry? That's one of his like really late ones, right? Uh, 1955. Yeah, I haven't, I, that was one of the, like, I was, you know, Jared and I were like watching through all of his movies and we didn't get to his later stuff. Stuff. I think I've seen some stuff around that period, but I don't think I ever saw that one. It was a very early role for Shirley MacLaine. Um, it had uh, what's his face who played uh, Chris Kringle in Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Um, oh, interesting. I don't. Uh, what is that guy's name? But without Edmund a beard, Gwen. Edmund yes. Gwen. Edmund Gwen. But without a beard, uh, it took me a second. But then he opened his mouth and talked, and I was like, I know that voice. <laughs> uh, I have not seen it. Yeah. It it runs a little long. It's a little, but overall, it's extremely funny. It's really like they find like a like a dead body is found in the woods by like 12 different people who all think that it is something different. And he's buried and unburied like six different times in the movie. And it's just like it was a very funny, silly little movie. I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm looking at Hitchcock. I don't understand why I didn't watch this one, because 55. I mean, Vertigo was after like Psycho was 1960. The 55 is not late in his career. I don't understand why we didn't watch this one. Maybe it wasn't available for some reason. That's what I was wondering. Anyway, anyway it's good. I recommend it. Um, and then we watched the Santa Claus uh, because, um, well, the blank check guys have gone through all three Santa Clauses, and I had only seen the first one. But I've seen the first one so many times. We used to watch a lot. My dad thinks Tim Allen is really funny, which I think probably tells you all you need to know about my father. Um, but it's it's so but i do have really strong like like i still think the north pole design is really fun and really cool i had such a crush on bernard when i was a kid i just saw him david whatever his name is post on twitter the other day that sometimes during the holidays he randomly goes up to people and tells them that he played bernard and santa claus oh and he's like and some of them don't know who i am but some of them do when i make their whole day and he's like this is a confession i know it's a dumb thing but <laughs> And I was like, I would lose my mind. Um, I had such a crush on Bernard when I was a kid. But I, I really thought that the the elf's design was cool. The sand, and honestly, a lot of the movie is pre- it's just Tim Allen. 
Like, I fucking hate Tim Allen, and he's awful. Yeah, I love that movie as a kid. I've watched it once as an adult and was so put off by what a, like, gross jerk he was that I, I honestly, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. It's another movie that it's it's trying for Groundhog Day, right? Where you have the character who starts out as the sort of irredeemable jerk and, and has to, like, learn better. But it, as with most of those, it does not. It doesn't hit it the way Groundhog Day does. I'm not into it anymore. And it's also all the weird fat stuff because, like, he get like there's all this weird. There's a lot of like '90s elements that are unfortunate in the movie. There, I do think there actually is some really fun stuff in the movie. But like, also, if you cannot get past Tim Allen for the fun stuff, that is very understandable. Um, anyway, want to go see the Boy and the Heron? Watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Watch Klaus. Whatever. I don't have a lot to say about any of those. Klaus is a, is a really fun movie. You know, whatever. Uh, then we watched the Santa Claus Two, which was one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. I think I went to see that one in the theater when it came out because i i did love the first one uh don't remember anything about it do you remember the you don't remember the the inciting incident for the santa claus 2 i don't think so i remember that the it was like the same kid in it and he was like a teenager and it was weird but it is the same that's kid all i remember that's all i remember he shows up in all three movies um the santa claus 2 is the clause that santa must find a wife before the next right the mrs claus that's like the title of it right the subtitle Correct. yeah actually wasn't it what, what's her name wasn't it that woman who was in lost it's elizabeth the, mitchell yeah okay i remember that now i think i it probably came out around that same time that lost started actually and she's great and she's but the movie the movie is nothing like it's impossible like it's it's just so it feels so long it's impossible to watch we'll get back to santa claus in a minute um charlie brown christmas watch hilda and the mountain king because morgan and i were watching through hilda um, then we watched Chicken Run and Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. Um, How is that? I have not. I know that's out, but I haven't heard anything about it. It is okay. It's not as good as Chicken Run. Um, I hadn't watched Chicken Run in years and I was worried it wouldn't hold up, but it's still pretty fucking funny and enjoyable. Um, I felt like the second Chicken Run does not hit like quite as well, but it hits better than I worried it would hit. It's still pretty who, who funny. Who do they replace Mel Gibson with? I don't even actually know. Another problematic character. Um, they replaced him with Zachary Levi, who... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I was sick at this point, so we were watching whatever. Anyway, um, then we watched uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue because I started reading the book and then was like, oh, shit, there was a movie. I should watch the movie before. It's a very bad movie. It's a very, it's a very cute book, and I actually did really enjoy it. The movie is real bad. The only thing that was better in the movie. But there's one line in the movie that was so funny that I to me that I assumed that it had come from the book because I felt like I could usually pull out like the the banter stuff where his friend asks him if the kiss with him and the prince was good. And he said it was I can't remember the exact line, but it was something like it was so good. It made me understand the difference between rugby and football, which I just thought like for some reason, I just thought that was a very cute turn of phrase that is not from the book. But in general, the movie is not great. But if you like like gay romance books, the book is very sweet and fun. Um, and then we watched You Hurt My Feelings. I can't remember. Have you seen this one? Yeah, I loved that one. That's still one of my favorites from the year. Yeah, I also loved it. I loved it very much. I, I really I mean, you know, obviously, just in general, Nicole Hall Center is so great. Right. We talked about her pretty extensively on this podcast because we covered one of her movies. Um, and also, like, you know, Michaela Watkins, who I really like, and Julia Louise Drives. There is a scene of Julia Louise Drives in this movie wrestling her adult son to the ground that is so funny that I just. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> it's yeah. I mean, she she is a genius, and like I really hope that her and Nicole Hall of Center keep working together. They've only they've done two movies together now, and they're both great. I would I would love to see you know a couple more decades of collaboration between the two of them. But it's also just such like a it's such a grown up movie, which is what I love about Nicole Hall of Center and of like like really about like what are like the white lies that we tell each other to because we love each other. And like, when is that not OK? And when is that OK? I was baffled by the idea that you would go multiple years and not tell someone you didn't like the presents they were getting them. But boomers are like that. So I don't know. Um, I, w- I was like, Morgan, I promise I would tell you. If I didn't like a <laughs> no, I had it was funny because I went to see it with May who is like a very like crafty artistic person and like i love the stuff that they make but it was funny watching this we both kept like exchanging glances maybe like is this you have you been doing this to me all along like it was fortunately i haven't like i've 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 never had to make that decision fortunately but uh yeah no it's it's a really good movie i need to watch that one again actually yeah that was excellent um then we watched showing up uh which continues my uh general thing of gosh i sure appreciate kelly reichardt i'm sure glad she's out there but i just don't connect i just don't and i the weirdly the very last the very last scene in the movie right and right after like whatever there's been an art show whatever it's not really a spoiler (laughs) and her and this other woman like walk out onto like the summer street of portland and they're like going to pick up cigarettes and something about that shot and that and i like i have been in those streets i know like it was so evocative of a very specific like summer evening feel but i didn't feel that level of strength about anything else in the movie i agree with what you said on our podcast that like there's way more like like the physical nature of art and like how much work it is was really was really in there a lot and i thought like i thought it was fine i liked it i appreciate what she does i hope she keeps doing it and god i hope that sooner or later i find the movie that like unlocks it for me and then i can go back and watch all of this and like but it just it just didn't it was fine um and then i found out that there were several other muppet christmas specials that i had never seen and i i felt the need to rectify this so we watched uh, a muppet family christmas which is only available on youtube currently which is like a crossover thing it has the muppets it has sesame street characters and it has fraggle rock characters in it and it was so sweet it was so sweet it was so fun there is an incredible scene in which bert and ernie are talking to doc or whatever his name is from fraggle rock um and he like says something and Bert is like, that starts with the letter C. And he's like, true. And Ernie's like, that starts with the letter T. And he's like, what are we doing here? And Bert goes, oh, this is what small talk is, where we come from. And I laughed so hard. It's an incredible thing to imagine Sesame Street as like, instead of talking about the weather, you're like, this one. Like, so funny. Um, and then in the very end, Jim Henson shows up for just like a minute. Like he like looks out while they're all singing and is like, oh, someone's got to do dishes. And I was not expecting to see him. It was like two years before he died. I started crying. Like I was not expecting <laughs> to see him. It was so, but it's really sweet. It's really good. It's like 90 minutes. The, the, uh, uh, the resolution is not great. It's definitely put up from, you know, some, some TV <laughs> Which, you know, because at the end and the ending credits, there's the coming up next, uh, whatever, but it's like a violent murder. It was really funny. But anyway, it's really good. And I, I super recommend that people check it out probably next Christmas at this point. Um, oh, then I, yeah, I, I knew there were other Muppet Christmas things, but I haven't I haven't sought any of them out. 
it was a delight. Uh, passages, we talked about that. Uh, then Morgan and I watched Gran Turismo. Whew, that was uh, that was long. That was not very interesting. Um, yeah, nope, not a fan. Not a fan. Did not work. I didn't see that movie, but my favorite thing about... I saw the, the ad for it several times, as you probably did as well. My favorite thing about it was that the trailer for that movie is preceded by a lengthy thing like a lengthy little like documentary like making of thing to convince you that like no really this is an actual story because it's, it, it's, i've never seen anything like it it's very strange the uh the movie feels like a two hour plus version of the trailer like that's how it felt to me the whole time um one of the few instances though where i've ever seen like a biographical story about someone where i think the real life person was actually more attractive than his and like that's saying something because the kid who played him is very cute but he is a really attractive man also he did all of his own stunt driving for the movie so that's kind of fun um and then we watched a muppet's christmas letters to santa which is up on disney plus um it's not as good as the muppet family christmas but like you like muppets if you like muppets it's like a totally fun thing to watch it's like 60 minutes or something it's a it's a cute little thing um and then we watched the santa claus three which I was like, okay, we're going to finish this. We're going to do this. I, I think I saw your letterbox thing about this, and I'm I'm hesitant about allowing you to to continue with this. But uh... okay, it might be genius. Is the problem? It might be ge- okay. One, there is way less Tim Allen, and there still is Tim Allen, but there's so many other characters that it like helps diffuse him a little bit. In the second one, there's two of him because there's like a robot Santa that they make so that he can go find a wife or whatever. And it's the most horrifying plasticky face I've ever seen. It's really upsetting. Um, But the third one, it was incredible. It flew by 90 minutes were gone before I knew it. I mean, there's like six plot lines and every one of them is absolutely fucking insane. Were you you stoned watching it? No, because I was still sick. So I couldn't, I couldn't. Oh, you were sick. Okay. So you were still out of it. Okay, but Morgan was not. And it was... uh, Martin Short is in there doing 8 trillion percent as Jack Frost. And I really think he's making everyone else around him better. Like, everyone is, like, trying to, like, meet that energy. They're doing their best. Um, Carol Burnett is in it as the mother-in-law. There's just, like... Or not Carol Burnett. No, shit. No, um, not Carol Burnett. Uh... eh, What's her face? No, no. Um, the woman who was in Newsies. uh, And Margaret. As as the singer in Newsies, anyway, it's it's so funny, it's so fucking insane. Like it's such a crazy movie that it it immediately became a movie where I was like, I need to make other people see this because definitely people have not watched this and they need to. I kind of loved it. I laughed. I cr- I didn't cry. I laughed and I had a truly amazing time to the point where we can like when the movie ended, I considered going directly into the Santa Claus television series because I had just had such a great time. So I'm guessing that probably wouldn't have worked out well for you if you'd tried it. But. Probably not. Um, anyway, uh, then we watched Flamin' Hot because we're doing this products cinematic universe thing. It was all right. It wasn't. There's a lot of debate about whether the story is actually real. Also, I was going to say is I, from what I hear, the story has been mostly debunked at this point. Okay. I did a lot of reading. I can't say that I determinedly think it officially has been. I can completely believe that Frito-Lay did not keep records of his work in there. He did work for Freelay and he did, he did very, uh, he was very involved in their advertising department um, and helping specifically advertise to, or like helping specifically sell the product to Latino families. Um, 
And he, I don't know. I don't know. Like Frito-Lay like backed off on their direct assertion that it was untrue at some point, like didn't say that it was, but like backed off weirdly. Like, I don't know this Mexican ex gangbanger. I can understand why they may not have kept it, but I don't know. I don't know. It might not be true. The movie, the movie feels specific to the to like Latino culture. And I mean, you know, it's directed by Eva Longoria and and I think um there's some fun elements in it because of that. Um it's not great, but it's not as bad as I worried it would be. Certainly not as bad as Grand Fucking Turismo. Um and then we watched Debs because it was expiring off of Hulu and I'd never seen it. What a wild relic of the nineties, but way more gay than I expected, even though I knew it was gay, but like Wild film, wild film. It's fun. Like, yeah. And then Morgan was gone for the night, so I was watching some documentary stuff. Uh, and I watched the the Scouts Honor, the Secret Files of the Boy Scouts of America. Um, and I was not prepared. Uh, I, you know, as you know, I watch a lot of true crime. I watch a lot of things that involve sexual abuse of children. I personally work in a field where I am responsible for policies and stuff that over... I have genuinely never in my life seen a more negligent set of policies. Like, I'm including the Catholic Church. I think that this is the worst I have ever... To the point where halfway through the movie, I was like, I am genuinely not sure that this makes any sense unless this organization was created by pedophiles to prey on children. Like, I literally cannot under... Like, I don't think you could accidentally do this. Like, until they got called out for, you know, until they got a few different things, there have been cases throughout their history, but... Um, they weren't even required in most of their locations, they weren't even requiring state IDs to work with the children. They weren't even doing like basic fucking watch checks. They weren't doing anything. None of this was required. People just walked in and then takes these fucking children camping and are gone. Like there was a, there was a group of single men who started a Boy Scout troop, went around and recruited in this poor neighborhood where the parents don't have anywhere to do, and then began a child sex trafficking ring. Because there's no requirements for how they, it's absolutely, like it is, and eventually, like in the mid-2010s, um, several major states, California, Texas, New Jersey, a couple of these, um, removed the statute of limitations on sexual assault charges, which we should do in every state, to be clear, because it is fucking stupid and does not take into account how trauma works. And they were anticipating, they were, they had lawyers that were reaching out if you were harmed in the Boy Scouts, you know, whatever. They were anticipating 10,000 which is horrifying in and of itself. 88,000 cases stole. 88,000 claims came in of men who were willing to report what had happened to them. Like, I am not easily shocked by these things at this point in my life, but it truly was one of the worst things I've ever seen. And I can't believe that they... It is appalling to me that they still exist (laughs) at this point. Do you remember when we were kids and... The scouts first started letting gay men be uh, scout leaders, and everyone on the right was freaking out about how they were opening the doors to to child molestation by allowing that. I remember that being a big thing for a while when we were kids. Yep, they talked about that a lot. Um, one of the main interviews in the movie, I can't remember his name, but he had previously worked for federal... He had been hired to specifically work on their child protection stuff. This was his job. He had been a cop. He had worked with, you know, all these things. And he was immediately very alarmed and kept being like, okay, but like, 
what if we did this? What if we, no, no, we can't possibly do that. Um, and he talked about one case where he was talking to one of the heads of the organization and the guy was like, well, the problem we have is the gay men. Like those are the people who are harming children. And he was like, that's, that's not true. And he's like, no, 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 it is. And he's like, I have interviewed literally thousands of pedophiles in my life they are mostly straight like this is not but like he's like but that was the general he ended up leaving and he uh he gave up his like you know his uh, severance uh and all of that kind of stuff because they wanted him to sign a do not disclose um and so he left and you know refused the money and started going on the record and he still says very intensely they have not done nearly enough do not send your children here um it was horrifying it was so much more horrifying than i expected it to be uh so so there was that um so then i i i watched a cheerful uh documentary buried the 1982 alpine meadows avalanche um because i it's a different kind of upsetting and you know no the people who were harmed and several people died they were all like staff um and that's not to say it's okay but like (laughs) i feel like there's a level of like acceptance of the risk (laughs) that feels different um anyway it was interesting there's a lot about how avalanches work and how avalanche like prevention works which i didn't really realize was just basically throwing dynamite at certain (laughs) things um and there was one woman who survived the avalanche that that was fucking crazy she was like in the ski lodge like in the locker room and the avalanche came down and the lockers like fell over on top of her but something like so she was in like this pocket like underneath she was there for five days before they found her because the storm was still going. There was still avalanche and a rescue dog found her. And it was the first apparently it was the first I think rescue dogs were pretty new at the time. It was the first uh, time that a rescue dog had ever successfully recovered a living person from um, she lost her leg, but she was back skiing on the slopes uh, the next year. So I don't understand, but whatever. Um, anyway, it's kind of an interesting like little story. And then Morgan and I watched Everybody, the um, documentary about um intersex people um and that was a really fun and cool watch it was an enjoyable watch i think especially if you don't know a lot about intersex and like how it works out there's a lot of really and it's like very engaging and a fun little movie um and then eric and morgan and i watched the mission the one about that motherfucker who uh yeah the missionary went to that island and got himself killed yeah there was a lot of new information for me there like it's interesting they have his journals um and a letter that his father wrote i would have liked to know more about his father's thoughts on this his father was quite horrified that he had been sucked into this very like intense right-wing version of evangelicalism his father was like an immigrant from china who had not planned on that (laughs) um it's i mean it's up on disney i don't know it's it's an interesting watch national geographic thing um, we watched White Christmas, watched The Year Without Santa Claus, which I enjoyed very much. I don't think I had seen that one before, the Bass and Rankin or whatever. Um, yeah, I was never into the Rankin Bass stuff. I know I saw most of, like, you know, I saw Rudolph and Frosty and stuff as a kid, but I never liked them. I didn't really like, I like watching Rudolph because I think that the animation is cool, but I don't really enjoy the movie. This one was way more fun to me. Um, I don't know if you ever, like, on TikTok, the, during, around the holidays, they, it's like a thing that goes around parallel the like i'm mr white christmas i'm mr snow okay anyway the song is very fun there's some there's some fun stuff in there muppet christmas carol obviously uh, yeah i just realized i i think i must have forgot to log that because i didn't have that in my yeah but obviously we've talked about that movie plenty um and then christmas night after everyone had left morgan and i went to go see godzilla minus one 
uh, which was very fun. I had a great time. I love his chunky, thick boy self. Um, what a delightful thing. And also the person story wasn't bad, which is not always true in monster movies. Um, so uh, I really liked the, like what sort of ended up being the emphasis on like, like the, the job is to preserve as many people lives as possible, not to. Yeah, like maybe it's better to to survive the heroic fight than it is to die. <laughs> I, I had the same same thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I found that a very compelling and like cool thing. Um, and then we watched a thousand and one. You heard about? I've heard about it, and I've heard it's great, but I haven't seen it. Some really beautiful performances. Definitely a really strong intro feature. Um, <sighs> very sad um i'm not there's a sort of twist ish at the end that i'm not sure how i felt about but other than that it was it was very good uh poor things and i watched uh stamped from the beginning because i was watching it to see if we would watch it in my class this next quarter um really good uh good solid and very engaging i think documentary about like sort of the history of black people and how sort of how like our concept of this came to be um yeah it was it was it was a good movie and we went to go see Wonka, uh, which was fun. I, I didn't love it, but I did like it quite a lot. Um, I think it is the most intense theater kid energy I've ever seen off of Timmy Chalamet, even though he has obviously always been that. Um, but he just, it was just so clear to me that he was having such a good time. Like this, he's so excited to be there. And it really worked for me, but I really love Timothy Chalamet. I know not everyone does. Um, I thought, I thought it was fun. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. It was sweet. Of course, we can't get through a rolled doll adaptation without a fat suit, but unfortunately, that is what it is. Uh, then we watched You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, um, which is this new Adam Sandler. Th- not new. It came out a few months ago. Um, Adam Sandler produced it, and it stars him and his two children, his two daughters, um, and his wife is... a. Adina Menzel plays his wife in the movie, but his actual wife is also in the movie. Um, Didn't Adina Menzel play his wife in uh, the diamond one too? Uncut gems. I, no, it's a I woman. Mixing her up with someone else. She looks kind of similar, but it is a different person. Okay. Um, it really felt like Adam Sandler was just like, like this is just Adam Sandler, like just like his wardrobe and his doing his thing. But I have to say, it was really cute. It's mostly about the kids, um, and apparently, it's directed by a non-binary person. Um, and I saw some TikTok stuff talking to one of the stars of the movie of like, how was Adam Sandler with like pronouns and stuff? And uh, they were like, you know, he, he struggled, like he had a hard time, but he was so concerned about getting it right. Like he would be like, okay, but would we say this? Would we say this instead? Tell me how this works. Like he was really, really committed to getting it right. And that's very sweet. I like that. His daughters were very good. They both, they they look, they sure look like him and his wife. Um, uh, but they, they did a great job and it really focuses, I think it's very middle school girls, you know, and it was, it was fun. It was really, I recommend it. Um, and then we watched The Unknown Country on movie with Lily Gladstone. Right, I've been hearing about that because, of course, that's the other Lily Gladstone movie from the year, but I haven't haven't seen it. It's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Just, I mean, visually beautiful, great performance. It's really, just a everyone in the movie except for Lily Gladstone plays themselves pretty much and has like a like it'll have like these weird like side interstitials of them like talking about who they are and how they really made me want to be on a road trip. It was very. It's it's a really beautiful. Movie. Sounds a lot like that. Uh chloe Zhao movie with francis mcdormand that won best picture a couple years ago what was that movie called 
Well, yes, now I'm drawing a blank now that you've asked. I don't remember any movie that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, No, I can see that. This is a little... That one, I think, was a little... Like, it has similar overlap stuff, for sure. Um, I think the... It feels a little more linear than this one does, um, but... It's basically this, I mean, the the core story is this girl whose grandmother who raised her just died. Um, and so she goes on kind of a grief <coughs> road trip and see, and it, it's it's really great. It's it's like 80, 85 minutes. I super recommend people check it out. And obviously Lily Gladstone is great and is hopefully going to be one of our next superstars. Um, then we watched The Blackening, which, God, I wanted to like that movie better than I did. There are some really funny things in it. Like, there are some really great lines. It's just that I feel like the really funny stuff added up to, like, 20 minutes of the movie. And then the rest of the movie, which is only, like, 95 minutes, felt very long. And it just didn't... It just didn't work for me, unfortunately. I really wanted it to. And then we watched Talk to Me after The Color Purple, which I kind of hated. Um... Great performances. Uh, I, I gave it a two for the kids, who I think all did great. I really find it... I find it really unpleasant when a filmmaker like builds really likable and good relationships, and it doesn't feel like there's any point to that except for to increase the horror. Like It didn't feel like that much of their relationships... Like, not that much shifted, like, once the bad stuff started happening. Like, they were understandably angry at her or whatever, but it didn't really feel like the plot tied that closely to their relationships. Um, and so, to me, it just felt like this is here to make this so much more horrifying. And I did not – I don't like that. I don't like it. Um, I, I had my issues with that movie as well. I, I, I had – I definitely leaned more positive than it sounds like you did, but I, I had some issues with it too. Um, and then we watched Trevor Noah's new special. <laughs> I, I've only seen a little bit of his stand-up, but I, it always feels half-baked to me. Like, it always feels like he should have spent six months more honing this stuff before he filmed it. I have watched the last several specials that he did. He did Son of Patricia, and then he did whatever the one was right before this, and then he did this one, which is called Where Was I? Um, and I read, I read his book this year as well. I, I find Trevor Noah to be a really enjoyable person in a lot of ways. Yeah, I like him, too, as a personality. I just don't think his stand-up is great. <laughs> He's an interesting person. I think that... Something that I have definitely seen and that makes a lot of sense to me after reading his book is I think that he is this really interesting person who has, like, come in from a unique, uh, you know, background <clears throat> um, and for which a lot of his, like, realistically and understandably, much of his survival skills were, you know, being very funny, being very charming, being all of these things like like his existence is literally, you know, his, his name, the name of the book is Born a Crime. His existence is literally. And so I think there are times that his like constant existence in the middle has led to some interesting observations, I think. But what a lot of times it leads to is this very like middle of the road shit. And so, for example, like, look, this isn't Dave Chappelle, who I hear again went off about transgender people because that's apparently just who he's decided to make himself now. What a fun time. Um, but he has a whole thing about trans bathroom, about trans people using bathrooms. And he starts out being like, this is like a bullshit argument. Like politicians are pulling from, you know, this thing that is basically never happening and, you know, or is not causing any problems and are making it a big thing so that we don't pay attention to all the rest. And I'm like, true, that's true. Um, like it was kind of a clumsy way to get there, but I was like, yeah, okay. But then he continues and is like, who's going to stop you? Who's going to enforce that law? And I was like, my man, like 
you are a student of history. I know you like history. I know you like history. You should know that there are many, many years of people enforcing these laws and also people taking it upon themselves to do so. That's what I was going to say. There's plenty of regular people who are waiting for an opportunity to enforce a law like that. Yeah. And yeah, that seems like a weird thing for him not to be cognizant of having grown up in apartheid South Africa. <laughs> right. And so it ends up feeling, I mean, one, it ends up feeling like he has no queer friends. Like he is a, you know, and I think that that may be true. He's a very like attractive, cool guy who I think probably is mostly friends with other comics and not that there aren't queer tra- comics, but they tend to travel in different circles than the straight ones. Um, and so I was just like, it wasn't like, actively aggressive and harmful like something like that but it's it's stupid he has like a whole five minute thing about how women probably don't actually poop like it's like a weird like it feel like he's like my age and i i was mostly sad because i was like oh like you're you're like settling in to like a middle of the road thing and i think that's unfortunate and it's just also not very funny there's a whole section towards the end where he's making fun of white people that is pretty funny where he's talking about like how the thing that white people love most in the world is the song sweet caroline and like he starts talking about like how you can be at parties and it doesn't matter what's happening if that song starts all of a sudden people are like and he like sings through the first part and the audience sings from him on he's like see i didn't tell you to do that Um, and so that part was pretty fun, but that was like the last 10 minutes. Unfortunately, it just isn't very good. And then we watched In the Mouth of Madness because it was expiring off of Criterion and you had just talked about it. So it was on my mind. It's fun. It's a, it's a fun, silly movie. I was telling Morgan, I think it would be really entertaining to have a double feature that was In the Mouth of Madness and Stranger Than Fiction because it's both about. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely some crossover there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. And then we went to go see Ferrari, which, uh, boy, it's a it's a very competently made film. It looks great. Everyone is doing their very best. There's a car crash that is absolutely fucking horrifying, like so much more than I anticipated. Um, but boy, did I not fucking care about it. <laughs> it felt so long. It just, ugh. I am looking forward to that one, but we'll see. I'm, uh, I'm not like a... I'm not like a devoted Michael Mann guy as a lot of like film bro sort of people are. I tend to be mixed on his stuff. So I'm I'm curious. It's a very like dad movie, not necessarily our dad. I don't think our dad would be that big of a fan of it, but like dad movie in the broader sense, we were almost the only people in there who was not a dad with a family of some kind. Um, Penelope Cruz is doing her fucking damnedest. She's, you know, she and like this is the thing is that I feel like this happens a lot of times in a movie is about like a famous man. And so I'm like, I would so much rather see the the perspective of the women in his life than I would. Like, I just don't, <laughs> I don't care. But whatever. And then, and then we watched um, Rye Lane last night before. I've heard that's really good. That's uh, uh, Film Spotting has that as one of their Golden Brick nominees this year, which is their they do like a little award for like sort of underseen indie you know, usually debut kind of thing. And they have that as one of their nominees this year. I've heard it's really good. I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, it's up on Hulu. It is a really joyful, colorful, beautiful film. It's a it's a treat to watch. It's like 85 minutes. It's it's great. Um, so I've heard it's kind of like a before sunrise, right? Like strangers having a extended conversation, basically like that. For most kind of, of it, mode. yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah, I usually like that kind of thing, so. Yeah, it's a good time. Anyway, that's it. And I think we've been going way too long to talk about TV at this point. So I have so much TV to talk about, though. 
okay. Next. Let me, let, let me do just a couple things because it, it, it is going to be like, I'm not going to remember stuff by the time we get to the next one. All uh, right. Uh, May and I finally finished The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> <laughs> which the final season that's been up for like a year and we kept forgetting that we hadn't finished it i haven't watched uh, the last two so but we did we did finally finish it uh it it's it's pretty good the, the last season did feel truncated apparently they didn't intend for that to be the last season amazon told them it was going to be their last season so they're they're kind of like jumping around covering huge like huge jumps into the future where we see her in like her 60s and what her career is turned into and stuff and like some of it's good some of it not so much but um overall i do still i still enjoy that show it's fun um i did find i finally finished better call saul the last season of that has been up on netflix for a little while i hadn't gotten around to it i finally finished it uh it's and it's it's great i mean you 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 haven't watched that one right no yeah no it's it is one of those like it's obviously not nearly as broadly watched as breaking bad was but like i feel like most of the people who watch it are of the opinion that it's better than Breaking Bad was. And I think I probably agree, even though I did love Breaking Bad. Um, but it it turned into like a, a really, really fascinating like character study show that's just really good. Um, I do want to watch it. I just also want to rewatch Breaking Bad first. Yeah. Well, exactly. one, of these, one of these days, because it, it's, so it's really rare for me to actually watch a TV show a season at a time like this, because I just most of the stuff that I'm watching is stuff that's been out and I just don't usually watch stuff like that. And so it is, it does feel kind of like characters would show up in this season that will, I don't, I don't remember them. It's been three years. I don't remember who this character is. And so then I have to like research to, you know, so one of these days I would like to go back, to, you know, I'd like to do a full watch from the start of Breaking Bad all the way back through better call Saul, i think because i'm sure there's a ton of stuff that i that i missed i know there's like connecting thread stuff I, there was a lot that i did get i'm sure there's a lot that i didn't uh but it's a it's a really good show like way better than i think i and everyone else in the world rolled my eyes when we heard that that show was being made like that's you know so unnecessary why are they doing that they're gonna like it's gonna suck they're gonna ruin it whatever but it's it's really good um and i watched uh Blue Eye Samurai on on Netflix. I don't know if you've heard about that show. It's like a, a um, uh, it's a like, I guess an, I don't know if you'd call it anime. It's an it's an it's an animated show for adults that uh, it is very much for adults, like much more so than I expected. It's not only very violent, but there's like a fair amount of like sex and nudity in it, which I feel like you don't see in animated stuff very often, but. Um, Depends on what anime you're watching. There's plenty of it in that. Oh, that's fair, I guess. I don't watch a lot of anime, particularly TV shows. But it doesn't have like the, you know, we've talked about it. It doesn't have like the pacing of anime TV shows, which is the thing that I can't get into with those. Yep. It's structured in a much more, in a way that I am much more accustomed to. Uh, but it's a really fucking cool show. Um, it's uh, it's set in like the, the period of Japan where it was all closed off. Um, and the main character is this like mixed race Japanese white woman who is like there are no white people in japan at the time like they've all been banned from the island um and so she's basically seen as like a like sort of subhuman almost because she's mixed race and the the whole thing is her trying to get she doesn't know there were like three japanese men on the island at the time when she was born and she doesn't know which one of them is her father but she's just trying to kill them all so that she's like that's her goal is to, to get revenge on whoever it was that set her life up for ruin and ruined her mother's life and all this uh but it's it's really cool it has a lot of you know like 
sort of like almost like superhero-y samurai elements that you'd see in, in a lot of old samurai movies and stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of fun, really gorgeous, some really amazing animated action stuff. Um, and they're, they're doing it at least one more season, which I'm very excited about. So I'll, I guess I'll, I'll leave it there. I have more TV stuff, but we'll, we'll save it. At least some of it, I think you've also been watching. So hopefully I won't forget about it when we come back. Uh, yeah, we. What are we up to? Like two and a half hours here. Two twenty. I will throw out that we finished watching Hilda, um, and I just if anyone hasn't started watching Hilda, I'm looking at my brother right now. Um, it's up on Netflix. There's three seasons. Three really like they they follow some graphic novels that I haven't read. Um, it's a really beautiful show. It's uh, visually gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Some great voice cast work. Some great whatever, but also just like makes me cry. Like is is such a sweet loving interesting show and like follows like hilda starts as like a child in the first season like probably 10 and we actually age the characters up into their teens which i feel like i don't see in a lot of animated shows um it was really funny in the third season the kid who played one of her best friends david because they were all actually voiced by he was a kid and his voice changed between season two and three and i was like whoa wait is that still him but it was um and it ended beautifully really really gorgeous wrap up really um and so i think um, it's just it's just really worth watching if you haven't had a chance to do so yet and it's it's a very like sweet and loving show that also deal has like some pretty scary scenes like i would have been scared of it if, when i was a kid at times but it's really great so i'll just throw that out there third season came out a few weeks ago it's the final season so the whole thing is up now <laughs> um, so people should check it out so that's what i got but we should go. <laughs> so um, so we will be back hopefully in a couple weeks, uh, and we will be watching Seventh Seal. So. Yeah, I am, I am. I also just recently got the Criterion disc of that, so good opportunity to crack that open. Excellent. All right, everyone. Happy New Year. We'll see you all soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>